This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, what's up? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor in chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's going on, man? Yo, man. Uh, happy to be doing this. It's been a crazy week. How about you? It has been, uh, you know, in the middle of the storm, but, uh, you know, dry, surviving, so no complaints. No complaints at all. Absolutely, man. None for me either. I'm safe and sound. And as you always say, perspective. And uh, yeah, man, I'm eager to talk, you know, talk it up. We we got some things we learned this week at the end of the week, and we thought it might be a, um, you know, different kind of show at first. But uh, yeah, the gods, the gods were kind to us. The nah, gods. man, speaking of storms, uh, you know, uh, the, the the floodgates open on Friday. You know, we've been there's been a lot of speculation about Kendrick Lamar now for months, weeks, years. And we finally got some news from the man himself. It's very rare that Kendrick speaks. He's not active on social media. Uh, he released a statement letting us know he doesn't even like look at a phone for several months at a time, which is, um, I can believe that. I, I think that's 100% true. Can you imagine, though, like uh, the kind of zen, uh, like, sol- like solitude you would have if you didn't have a phone? You know, it's funny, I, I had dinner with an uncle this week, and we were talking about the Powerball and the Mega Millions, and I said, if I won, the first thing I would do is chuck this into the river. And, you know, I would get a landline, I'd call people, but i do it on my terms. And I always heard, like, Rick Rubin was like that, like, you could get him on email, but he wasn't somebody you could just, like, call. And I heard back in the day, like, you know, 2000, you know, seven, 2008, 2009, Kanye was like that. We may be talking about why that's not the case anymore a little later, but I think that is the ultimate luxury and the ultimate Zen um, of just being able to control what communication comes into your, your life, you know, like that. Yeah, man, it's a beautiful thing. And Kendrick, you know, he's always kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. Um, and so he released a statement that kind of shook the hip hop world. Um, you know, he, he mentioned that he has an album that he's working on, which is no surprise. I'm sure he's been working on an album for years now. Uh, you know, notably, he didn't say it was coming anytime soon. There was no release date or hint like that. But he did say that the album was going to be his final album for TDE. And that was a huge, huge thing. Now, you know, as I'm sure you are too, but I'm a massive, massive TDE fan. I mean, for me, they were really my soundtrack of the 2010s and um, have grown to be incredibly important to me, not only musically, but personally, you know, I have a very deep relationship with the label and with many of the artists from, you know, um, their early days and the, 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 the early parts of the decade um, was with them. Probably no exaggeration, someone from the camp at least once every two weeks or so. For a couple of years, uh, probably between 2011 and 2013, maybe even 2014. Um, and so to see Kendrick say that this is his last album for TDE was like a major, major thing for me. And listen, you know, 
he did it with love. You know, it, it doesn't seem like there's any acrimony or beef, um, but we'll get in, we'll get into that. And, you know, top dog reciprocated that love too. But for me, it's the end of an era, you know, um, and even if both go on to do great things, Kendrick and TDE uh, without each other, which I hope and believe both will do. Um, it's something I think is worth celebrating. And so I want to spend a lot of time today just kind of detailing the movement that has been TDE. But, you know, what were your thoughts about TDE? What's your relationship with the label? Yeah, I mean, mine's a little different than yours. I um, I, I do relate to you. Like, it, it means the world to me personally. Um, I, you know, I, I believe I may be the first person. If not, I'm in the first two or three to ever interview J-Rock. Um, I wrote a piece for Ambrosia some years ago talking about that, you know, I think, I think around the time he won the Grammy. Um, but, you know, I remember in, in 2006, 2007, you know, having that opportunity and at 2011, which was a um, very important year for me um, at the time I was the editor in chief of hip hop DX. And I really positioned the site, which I believe was the biggest news and music site in the hip hop space at the time to get all the way behind TDE and get really all the way behind at that point, Kendrick Lamar, Absol, Schoolboy Q. So these are, these, these are guys that I really feel like helped hip hop turn an important page. And it is a, it is a meaningful uh, message, you know, especially coming from somebody who I don't think has ever trolled us uh, in the way of Kendrick and, you know, speaks with tremendous intent and significance. And I have to add one other thing, you know, you and, you, had, you and I had a debate about five or six years ago about what do, what do labels mean? I remember at the time we were talking about, I forget who artists had signed to so-and-so place. And I said, oh, this is news. And you challenged me and you said, I don't think this is news. I don't know that labels matter <clears throat> like they once did of back in the day of like players for teams. TDE, um, you know, growing up, I, I adored, you know, Def Jam and Death Row and Tommy Boy and Wild Pitch. TD was the first label that I remember wanting to buy merchandise of since Ruckus because it really represented a lifestyle. And that lifestyle was modeled by several individuals, both music makers and executives and producers behind the scenes. And, you know, that's why this is such a big moment for you and I to talk about today. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. You know, there were a lot of comparisons of TDE and Death Row early on. And I think that was superficial and knee-jerk and in fact um you know there was some hot water that gq got into uh for making the comparison in a magazine article once uh, when kendrick was man of the year um but you know i think if you dig deeper tde is much closer to raucous you know um super lyrical cats very cerebral very musical music um you know rhyme styles are very complex I, you know, I think, and, and it was truly an underground movement for quite some time, even with, you know, Kendrick being signed to Aftermath and Q being signed to Interscope, you never got a sense that the label was in any way like influencing their music and, you know, trying to get them to do radio songs and things like that. They were always very, very true to their sound and, and to themselves. Excellent point. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Pharaoh Monch had come from organized confusion and was already an established artist, but the way that Ruckus took talented acts, whether you want to, I mean, most Def Yassin Bey is a tremendous example of that, Talib Kweli, LP. They took artists that, you know, had, had, had taken the steps on their own, but believed in their development and created albums that took artists out of, 
pretty much obscurity and used a system in place of, you know, we're going to start with a 12 inch single, then we're going to have a music video, then eventually we'll build to an album and we'll use compilations and features to build them up. I 100% agree with that. And, and then on top of it too, I, I agree as well. The, the death row thing was never something I subscribed to. I thought that that was um, very knee jerk to use your word. But the one thing that I do think is fair is powerful black owned business. Um, but you can also draw comparisons to rap a lot. You can draw comparisons to other places, you know, no limit cash money. It doesn't have to be, you know, death row. And I always thought that that was, I agreed with top dog himself for pushing hard against that line. Yeah. I mean, uh, death jam, bad boy, that list goes on and on. Right. You know, so. So I want to go through, man. And so you mentioned Kendrick um, not trailing, trolling us. You know, TDE has trolled uh, fans a number of times over the years, including just a few weeks ago when Top released a, a tweet and an Instagram saying the wait is over. Had people like myself counting the number of exclamation points at the end, like looking for clues. Um, you know, but but Kendrick has not. But let me ask you the way that he released this information. You know, he he put up a site and the site is called uh, it is spelled OKLAMA.com. First of all, uh, do you have any thoughts on what that means or, or how to say it? Man, I don't. I uh, I've butchered a few a few words and, <laughs> and names on this podcast before and over the last 30 some years. Uh, no, I don't. But I have a feeling that. That this will be an acronym for an upcoming album. And I have no reason to believe that other than Kendrick, you know, is one of these artists that we speak about their bodies of work in acronyms, which is just something. And then they're never easy ones. You know, they're never very like easy on the on the on the tongue. But I we're going to see this again. That's all I know. You have any speculation, though? I do. I do. So Kendrick is is a serious dude, right? Like it's, it's clear in his music. His demeanor, he always comes across with a certain kind of gravitas. Um, but Kendrick is low-key also hilarious. I'll never forget this time I went to. Um, it was like a it was like a private show that he did for some brand. It was probably like 2014 or so. And he was on the stage, you know, just cracking jokes in between songs, like like almost like a comedian, and was killing it, like really, really hilarious. And you see glimpses of that, like in his appearance in Power, um, you know, as, as um, the, the crack addict, you know, he, he's got a real sense of humor. And I think after sitting back and watching people dissect Damn, uh, you know, ourselves, um, you know, his entire podcast dedicated to it, like 17 hours, like uh, dedicated to an hour long album. I think he's having a little fun with this. And, you know, the first thing I heard was, oh, Lamar. Um, and I had to like go and check Duckworth to see if he said, okay, Lamar. Um, but I, th- I, th- I just think he's saying, okay, Lamar, like, uh, like almost like, oh, okay, Lamar, like, you know, like, like joking. So, yeah, um, that's I, and I think he is uh, having fun watching people kind of like, you know, run around in circles, trying to, t- trying to decode the mystery of that. I could be wrong, but, but that's my take. You know, I know I, I was a little bit, you know, I gave you some pushback on the, uh, and I was right. I think you were right. You were right. You were right. But I, uh, I like that. I think that theory holds a lot of water. And, and you and I have said on here before of, you know, 
Damn was such a heavy album. I mean, the last few to Pimp a Butterfly and Kendrick is capable of being lighthearted. And we see that sometimes on his features. And, you know, I haven't been around him. You know, it's funny. We can talk about it in a minute. You've had the interfacing with Kendrick that I have not. Um, so I don't know things about his personality other than what I get from, you know, the interviews and, and the same as, as anyone else that's a fan. But, you know, with all that's going on in the world, I've speculated and you and I've talked about it, that he would come with the, you know, the zeitgeist album of what the 2020s are, you know, spiritually, racially, socially, you know, politically. And what if he just hooks a left and and makes a lighthearted album that is still hugely relevant? Because I can't imagine Kendrick Lamar not being relevant to people like you and I and the millions of others, but it's it's in a much lighthearted tone. And if you're right, um, man, that would be, you know, you've done it before. Yeah, you know, I, so I just think that's about the, the website. The album, I do think, is going to be heavy, you know, and he says... Um, you know, he says some things in a statement. He says, I spent most of my days with, with uh, fleeting thoughts, writing, listening, and collecting old beach cruisers. Um, and, but then he says, um, love, loss, and grief have disturbed my comfort zone. But the glimmers of God speak through my music and family. You know, so, you know, if you listen to Dissect and you go back and really study Kendrick's albums, almost every album has some very significant religious presence, very significant, you know, um, Cushion Corinthians, um, you know, Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst. In fact, all of like Good Kid, Massey was ultimately about redemption and like, you know, Jesus saving him. Um, damn, we all know what that was. And a lot of uh, To Pimp a Butterfly too. So, you know, it would be a real hard left if he actually didn't have some, religion or religious implications in his music but i think him saying that in a statement is a, is a clear indicator that it's coming um you know and he talks about um he says as i continue to pursue my life's calling uh he says may the, the most high continue to use top dog as a vessel for candid creators um and so he's looking at this as more than a music career or anything like that. This is truly, you know, his calling. And, uh, you know, that has re religious implications in itself. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, if, if he feels, you know, and, and I can't wait to learn more. I don't want to speculate too, too much, but, you know, if he feels the way we've seen other artists, um, just like a higher uh, purpose of, should I be doing other things and rapping? And clearly, you know, it's been more than four years since damn. Um, and he's been doing things and, the general public has no idea what they are on a daily basis. So yeah, it's, it's, it just leads a whole bunch of questions and it's, it comes out of nowhere. I do think we will see music by the end of the year. You asked me that several times throughout this. And I think there's a reason we're getting this message now, but it, it lets me know that, you know, the, the, the bow is probably tied on at least some of the music that we're going to get. Maybe, um, maybe I, I've given up hope of like speculating as to when the album is coming. Um, I think, I think there's probably going to be some announcements about the business and like some th moves he's making in other contexts that maybe necessitated this statement now, you know, but, but we'll see, you know, there's one last thing in the statement that I thought was really interesting. Uh, he said, thank you for keeping me in your thoughts. I've prayed for you all. That was heavy to me because like, um, 
you know, feel was my song of 2017 and most of 2018. And throughout the album, or the refrain on that song is Ain't Nobody Praying For Me. So it's interesting that he said, thank you for keeping me in your thoughts. Uh, and I prayed for you all because I'm wondering if if that sentiment still stands. But did, did it resonate with you in that way? Yeah, I mean, it, it had it had potency. And that's funny, too, because that is definitely my it might be my favorite Kendrick Lamar song of all time. Um, and it, it's a hallmark of that period of 2017 and 2018 for you and for me. And it's one that I come back to. Um, but I didn't make that immediate connection. Like I didn't hear it the way that you heard it, knee jerk. But I thought that that was just so much Kendrick style of, you know, I'm praying for you all. Um, yeah. It's just, it's so, uh, you know, it's such a powerful gesture that if somebody else said it, I might think of it in like the thoughts and prayers, like politician way. But there's such gravitas to use the word you just said a moment ago to to that statement. Yeah. I actually prayed for Kendrick that night, man. It's crazy. Wow. So I want to go through and do a timeline, man, um, celebrating. This is not a in any way suggesting that it's the end of days for TDE, because I, I firmly believe that they have a tremendous amount of talent. I believe that Top Dog has been a force and will continue to be so. But, you know, I think it's, it's worthy of celebrating this label. Um, and why not do it now? At this kind of like major crossroads. So I, I thought Absolutely. we would- and I, I think. You- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think you alluded to it, but, you know, Top Dog publicly reacted to the statement, you know, Top Dog, the founder of the company and, you know, has basically, I'll paraphrase it. I can read the quote if we prefer, but, you know, this is all going according to plan. You know, they've made music, made money, made history. And he said, we did that 10 times over. And he encouraged anyone speculating to see this as a victory lap. So, I mean, it's definitely with um, that agreement in mind, that I think we're having, you know, this discussion too. Word. So let's do that victory lap, man. Um, I want to do a timeline. Um, and then I want us to really kind of contextualize what TDE as a label has meant in the last, you know, decade. And then also what their place in, in history as a label has been thus far. So it starts off in 2006. I think well, many people know that J-Rock was the flagship artist. You know, Kendrick ultimately became the biggest artist, but J-Rock was the cornerstone around which the label was built. And he kicked things off, you know, with a mixtape. And as I was going back and looking at the catalog, it's interesting. They're very strategic. They released nothing but mixtapes for like the first three years and then a couple of EPs. And then they started kicking in with albums. But his first mixtape was Watts Finest. And you said you interviewed him shortly after that. So, so tell me about that experience. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. At the time, I was the features editor of All Hip Hop. I'd been there four to five years, depending on whether it was 06 or 07. And um, a dear friend of mine and somebody who I, I believe you consider a friend, Richie Abbott, who's, who's been a, uh, a veteran you know, publicist who's connected some of the interviews that we've had on this podcast and throughout the years on, you know, AFH and AFH TV, he was the head of Warner Brothers PR at the time and brought to me knows that I'm a huge fan of West Coast history and West Coast gangster rap and said, hey, we just signed an artist and there's this movement called TDE, Top Dog Entertainment. And, you know, their artist is J-Rock. And I think you, Jake Payne, more than anyone are going to appreciate it because Richie knows I'm a fan of Mac 10 and a West Side Connection and Dre and Corrupt and you know, sugar free and on and on and on. And he gave me some information at that point. I mean, this is the MySpace era. 
So I get like three or four songs and they had very few views on them, you know? And what Richie and the other execs at Warner had said to me is, this guy's street presence is not translating to the online. That's one of the reasons why, you know, we were being introduced because all hip hop was a very dominant force at the time and breaking artists and putting artists on people's radars. And I remember getting on the phone with J-Rock and Punch and Top Dog himself, uh, as well as I, I believe Richie. And we spoke for probably like 25, half an hour. And, you know, I've, I've reconnected with J-Rock a few times in the years since. And you and I have talked about this. I mean, he can be a man of very few words. And at that time, like many new artists, um, just kind of seemed guarded. And, you know, probably had this lo- you know, loquacious guy on the phone trying to keep him talking. And um, But one thing I always remember is, you know, J-Rock is from Nickerson Gardens, you know, which is a famed legendary, you know, housing project in Watts. And I mentioned just being a rap nerd, OFTV, Operation from the Bottom, which was this group that later had ties to death row, but came out in the early 90s as kind of a street education, but very gangster. They were all bounty hunter bloods. And I mentioned that because they're from that same, same, same houses. And J-Rock lit up. And I remember, I think it was Top Dog really appreciated that connection too, that I knew enough history. Um, and as, as we'll talk about in time, you know, uh, that J-Rock was making his own inroads with those tapes, but it didn't translate to the greater space right away. Like so many great artists, it, it wasn't an overnight, you know, victory or success. It, it took time. And, you know, we're going to talk about that a lot. Well, so when you heard that mixtape, um, one, did you like it? Did it resonate with you? And two, did you think that he had a future? The first part is, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. It was hard nose. That's always the word that I use to describe J-Rock's delivery. He's got a gruff, um, you know, I mean what I say and I say what I mean without being like menacing. That's not what one of the words that I would use for J-Rock. Did it have a future? I don't know. I mean, that was the mid 2000s. So there were, you know, on one hand, you had an artist that I've believed in since the late 90s, Crooked Eye. This is pre-Slaughterhouse. He's kind of struggling to translate. Um, Glasses Malone, Nipsey Hustle. At that point, I had done Nipsey's very first press bio and Nipsey was kind of bumping around the industry. Um, you know, it was very hard for street-minded West Coast artists that were not tied to Dr. Dre to make it. The one exception of that time was always the game. Um, but the game, as you and I, I'm sure agree, has had some of the finest production um, in the 2000s. And the game is not, you know, his, his, his imagery um and his style and his iconography is very west coast but game sometimes raps to me very east coast you know and his timing and his delivery and some of his beat selection and j-rock was this other thing that was just super duper west coast so did it have a future um there's times where i get off the phone with artists and i'll be like yo i know you're gonna be a star and i don't think i said that to j-rock but i i told him i liked him and i knew that we would be talking again which we did yeah, I mean, the first time I heard J-Rock was Follow Me Home. Mm. And um, it was the song um, Just Like Me. And that just, it blew me away. His voice was so penetrating, you know. Um, and so it, it just had so much, like, pain in it, you know. Um, was 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 his voice, was his vocal style like that at that at that point? Or was it still, like, in progress? It was in progress. It was more of a staccato <laughs> delivery. It was just very, like... I mean, you know, like kind of tough. There wasn't a lot of humanity there. I think the gift of J-Rock is, uh, 
sort of like Jay-Z this way. Like, you know, I mean, people say that Jay-Z lacked the, a certain depth that Nas had. And, and I kind of disagree because Regrets is on, you know, Reasonable Doubt. And that is a heavy duty, soulful song. But I think J-Rock in the early days was very guarded in the information he would give you. And he was very much rapping, you know, from the corner for the corner. And I think over time with these albums, as you say, you know, that we've, we've since gotten and they mean so much to people, we've gotten more of the heart and soul of J-Rock. And when that comes through, the, the hard aesthetic has never been compromised and it just creates this beautiful kind of balance. Okay. And now he said he signed to Warner. Now, is this the strange music joint venture or is no. it just straight Warner? It's just straight Warner. And it's funny, though, because Richie would be very instrumental and be, would kind of become one of TDE's de facto publicists. He was always my window more than Interscope could ever offer me into these guys. And luckily, you know, for one album later on, J-Rock made the move. And to this day, Richie and I talk about it. I, I may have met Kendrick one time. And if so, I had dinner with J-Rock in 2011 in Kansas City on the Strange Music Tour. And J-Rock had one or two people with him. And I am 90% sure, 90, not 95, not 85, that K-Dot was sitting next to him. Because I believe on that tour, even though it was right around the time Section 80 dropped, I believe that K-Dot functioned as his hype man. I could be mistaken. And if any punch top, anyone else sees this, Dave, you know, let me know if I'm mistaken. But uh, yeah, I got to reconnect. And, and Richie is one of those people when they tell TD's story, I think he matters because he was, you know, a big advocate for these guys and helped put them in position to get distribution and get infrastructure that an upstart label isn't always going to have. Yeah, it's quite possible. It was Kendrick. Kendrick um, can be very quiet and, uh, you know, unassuming in a room. Like you can easily overlook him um so it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case and was definitely j-rock's hype man um we know that there's that famous video floating around of when charles hamilton was you know battling people and challenging people to come up on stage and and rap with them and uh this dude comes up and you know it's like oh it's j-rock's man it's his hype man right and he proceeds to like just lace a verse that's just like fire. And like, you know, you can see it in Charles Hamilton's eyes. Like, uh-oh, like a uh, little homie got something. So, yeah. Okay, so now 2007, Kendrick enters uh, the scene with TDE himself and releases Training Day, his first mixtape with him. And to me, that was almost like a Little Wayne tribute. You know, uh, K-Dot, you know, and he was called Kate out at, at that time. Um, had, you know, he, he released a video when Little Wayne a few years ago said he suggested he was going to retire, like asking Wayne, telling Wayne he can't retire, like he means too much to hip hop, blah, blah, blah. And so he's clearly a very serious Wayne fan. Um, but but it was crazy to me how similar his cadence was to Wayne in 2007. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Like up and coming MCs do this quite a bit. Before they find their voice, they, they try and I don't even know if it's conscious or not, but they mimic kind of their influences and what's hot. And Wayne was, I think, was Carter three, 2007 or 2008. Was 2008, 2008 yeah. it was out. But 2007, I remember, you know, if you were paying attention to mixtapes, um, you know, Wayne had several different series going on at the same time. I mean, he was the biggest thing out. I remember in Philly, like, that's what people were listening to. And it wasn't, I mean, the Carter two was out since 2005, 
It was what Wayne was doing on a month-to-month basis with these tapes. Um, that was just absolutely insane. You know, with yeah. Empire and DJ Drama and, you know. So Training Day comes out. It's very clear that Kendrick has skills. But um, there, to me, there was nothing extraordinary about that mixtape. And, you know, I heard it later on. I didn't hear it present day. Um, and if I had heard it back then, I don't think I would have been hooked in, you know. Uh, but did you hear it real time? And, and No, I don't even know if it was sent to me. And if it was, it was so, um, I was so, you know, I was getting hit up by a lot at that point, just professionally. And I also, you know... I, at that point in time, I don't know how much I was searching for the new and next artist. Um, you know, I just had that stance. So, no, I found like you, I found it later and I had the same kind of processing. I, I heard um, Training Day long after Overly Dedicated, possibly after um, Section 80. Yeah. And the, the story is that Dave Free was really good at, at, at computers. And so Top had had him come over to fix his computer. I don't know if he had a virus or something like that. And I believe Dave played Kendrick while he was there. And, you know, and Top was curious and, you know, had him come back with Kendrick and kind of the rest is history. Um, but TDE is not in, in any way releasing regular like product at this time. You know, um, it's not until two years later that Absol drops and he released his long-term mixtape. And Soul is you know a, a unique MC. I still have never heard an MC like Absol, like you know, super complex references and metaphors, and you know, really uh, rhymes that go over a lot of people's heads. You need almost like a, a dictionary and like you know, and Wikipedia in, in order to like decipher what he's doing. So he brings a very different voice to TDE than J Rock and and Kendrick. But were you up on Soul at this point? Not in 2009, somewhere around 2010, 2011, I got put on to Absol at a, at a deeper level. And, um, you know, MERS is one of the people that, that really helped put me on, actually. MERS brought Absol and, and possibly Kendrick, but definitely Ab as an opening act on tour. And I may have at that point seen Absol, you know, at, at a, a paid dues or on a MERS tour, but it wasn't, you know, it was one of those things where it didn't hit and resonate. But I agree with I agree with everything that you just said about Solo. And I also think that he, and this isn't talked about enough because Ab does the same thing as Kendrick and kind of goes away for four or five years in a clip. But I feel like a lot of what is, is popular in, in rap right now in terms of aesthetic, in terms of defying convention, in terms of stuffing your lyrics with, you know, very deep historical references um, Absol was one of those artists that pivoted that into the zeitgeist and made it cool. Yeah. So Long Term drops in January and May, Schoolboy Q joins the fold and he releases Gangster and Soul. Um, that's a project I have not heard, but Q brings, you know, you know, he brings a different level of gangster. You know, I think the thing that appealed to me, the thing that appeals to me the most about both him and J-Rock is they don't glorify the things that they've seen in, in the streets and things that they've done. You know, in fact, um, it's mournful, the music, and it's, it's almost a cautionary tale for both of them. And so Q does that, but Q also, as menacing as his music can be, is just like one of the funniest dudes ever. Like he's always just like goofing and having a good time. 
I got a photo of me and him from um, years later on the 106 and Park set. And both of us just laughing, you know, like because he, he always is cracking jokes, you know. So he brings a different dimension to, to TDE, too. And at this at this point, the foursome that would become Black Hippie is complete. Um, and it's later on in that year, December 2009, that Kendrick releases the Kendrick Lamar EP, ironically titled because it's 14 songs long and I think over an hour. So, you know, um, it would be a long album, definitely an EP. But it's noteworthy because he shed the K-Dot moniker and he's become Kendrick Lamar at this point. And the music is, is I think, the first time that you hear the MC that would grow into who he has become today. You know, um, the first song, um, you know, uh, is, it, uh, is it Love? I can't remember. That's the, that's the, um, that's the, the sample, but it's very, very introspective. And he's talking about who he is and why he's like decided to embrace himself. He, he talks about having mimicked other styles in the past and like he just needs to have his own voice and, you know, it's got songs like PMP. Uh, for those who don't know, you can uh, look yeah. it up. Um, my favorite song on there is Vanity Slaves. Um, and that's where, like, the first time you really understand what a monster Kendrick Lamar is as a rhymer. But he's talking about how we're all slaves to materialism. And, you know, that's, that's the exact opposite of what you hear in rap. You know, rap is all about, like, flossing your money and cars you got and the jewelry you're wearing and stuff like that. And this is a guy who's saying that we're all slaves to uh, to vanity and materialism, and we've got to like break free. Um, did you had you heard that project at that point or no? No, I'll admit that I hadn't. And uh, you know that was at a time where I was spending uh, a lot of time, you know, scrolling two dope boys, not right on Smash, cocaine blunts, um, and I just remember there was a host of artists, and I would make little mental notes of where were they from, who else were they working with, what did they sound like. And for whatever reason, you know, Kendrick Lamar was this artist that I was seeing the name on a consistent basis, but it didn't really resonate. Um, and, and, you know, I often feel like I'm early, but I meet so many people that were up on him, you know, 08, 09, like, like we're talking about. And I think this tape definitely put him on a lot of radars for people that, you know, really enjoy discovering tomorrow's talent. Yeah, I didn't hear this mixtape until probably 2013 2014 uh, oh, wow. no, no no 2013 um it was good good kid dropped 2012 right uh so mm -hmm. um i heard it 2013 i remember i was with dave and um you know he had just played studio for me by schoolboy q and I was bugging because I had never heard Q sing before and it was a completely different sound for him. And the song would come out six months later and be a, a massive hit. But as I was leaving, you know, Dave mentioned that uh, he said that at the time was still his favorite project. And um, uh, he was like bugging that I hadn't heard it. So I went back and listened to it and I just thought it was unbelievable. And it's rare. I think that you can go back. Uh, that's only happened to me with Prince, where you can go back into an artist catalog prior to your entry point and really, really dig the music uh, because it tends to be so different and, and raw. But um, for me, it was very consistent with who Kendrick was growing into as an MC and was still one of my favorite projects to this day, too.
I like what you said. And it's funny, you know, I'm a football fan growing up in Pittsburgh. You have to be, but I've never been a college football fan. I might watch like the bowl games. So a lot of other people know who these athletes are when their team drafts them. Like they get really excited on draft night. I don't like, I learn who players are when they enter the league. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Kendrick's rookie season was section 80. And it's like you look at the catalog prior to that. And I feel like maybe with every TDE artist, there's that rookie season, but there's a project or two before it. And you can go, but Kendrick is a great example and listen and watch them developing the skills that they bring to the league. And and I know exactly what you mean. And it's funny. And I think that's very much something that is now commonplace with artists. I don't think necessarily artists are getting to the, the level that Kendrick's at. But the next time there's a superstar, there's going to be a whole catalog of work that fans inevitably missed and can go back and watch and really learn where the growth points, or as you say, I I steal this a lot, the inflection points are, you know. Yeah, man. And, you know, I I think as a rule of thumb, every overnight artist has been working for seven years, Mm -hmm. you know, in obscurity, just like toiling and like just fighting, fighting to like be known. And, you know, once it happens, everyone thinks it was truly overnight, but they've been grinding for years. I agree with you, but I think it has to be this case. I don't know that little Nas X, and I just pick him as an example. It could be little Tekka. It could be, you know, well, you know, um, Doja Cat has a seven year story, but there's artists these days, because I do a lot of their bios and they'll be like, literally, that was the first song I made. And I don't think they're capping when they say that, but an artist like Kendrick, that has had the mission to use, you know, what he shared on Instagram this week as Kendrick, you're right. There's always going to be um, a yellow brick road behind them. Yeah. I mean, there are exceptions. Lil Dicky is one too. Um, that's a dude. We, we posted his video the first day it dropped his first ever video. And that video did a million streams on the first day. Like he was an instant success. So there are exceptions, but I, I think generally, man, um, these guys are grinding, you know, so that album comes out. Um, it also has BJ, the Chicago kid, and he would become extended TDE family. I think for a lot of, for a few years, people actually thought he was signed to TDE and, um, it wasn't his album pineapple, uh, now, now letters. Was that, yeah. was that on TDE? I can't remember. Um, no, it wasn't on TDE, but a lot of people thought it was CDE at that point. Yeah, they've always moved with these affiliates that you've you've been curious about. And some of them have been other like rap peers, but it's a tight knit circle with people. And, and yeah, I mean, and, and BJ is a great example of that, too, because he was an artist that popped up on my radar. And, and that Pineapple Now and Laters was a phenomenal, um, you know, and, and it was one of those things of like, this is free. Like there's download links the artist is, is promoting, but this is also an album and I can't run to Best Buy and buy it. But you can't tell me that this isn't competing with anyone else in the space or genre. Yeah. I mean, BJ, man, incredible, incredible talent. So also on this, uh, another piece that starts to fall into place with Kendrick Lamar EP is Soundwave produced five tracks on the album and Soundwave would go on to become a really integral part of TDE's in-house production. He produced ADHD, um, Hole Up from Section 80, Mad City, um, Don't Kill My Vibe. He produced All Right along with Pharrell. Uh, King Kunta, and then eight songs on Damn. So he was truly, um, you know, is still truly one of Kendrick's primary muses uh, musically. Um, But it also 
showcases, you know, so TDE, there's something we talked a little bit about, you know, their, the comparison to Rockus, but this is another way in which they uh, really fare very well with the greatest labels of all time and that they are built around an in-house production team for the most part. You know, they work with others, but Digiphonics, which was, you know, uh, Soundwave, Willie B, Tay Beast, and Dave Free, who we'll talk about extensively, but, you know, the guy who brought Kendrick to TDE, Kendrick's manager, uh, one of his best friends, uh, little homies, his partner as a, uh, a video producer like Dave is a genius and um, was co-president of TDE ultimately as well. But, you know, it was so many labels that were built on in-house production. So you think about Def Jam with Rick Rubin, Death Row with Dre, Bad Boy with the Hitman, Cash Money with Beats uh, with um, Manny Fresh, Fresh. Yeah. No Limit with Beats by the Pound. Rockefeller had uh, Justin Kanye. Um, you know, there are just so many great labels that started with that. But, you know, why do, why do you think that is that, that, that that's such a critical part? I think, it, first of all, it allows to make music easily. You're not paying for all of your beats. And, and you know, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, this was still an era where I don't think there were like SoundCloud type beats online. Um, you know, artists were doing business. There was some exchange of some kind. And to have people that are just as hungry as the vocalists creating, you know, there's these images of, you know, I think it's Top's house in Carson, California, kind of in a cul-de-sac and all of these rappers, you know, sleeping on the couch with producers, just, just that creative element of side by side. I think that makes the best work versus, you know, reaching out to somebody, waiting for discs, doing business, getting it finalized. Um, and I remember, you know, the stuff early on that I heard from TDE, I'd always say, well, who produced this? Like, I'm, I'm waiting to hear, you know, a name, you know, Rick Rock, Battle Cat, whatever. And to see these names that I'd never heard of, didn't know if they were part of the fold or not. And then you see them again and again and again, and you start to learn and you, you pick up patterns of like, okay, Soundwave does this and Willie does that. I thought it was so dope. Um, and it was, it was just, it was just really interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. And so musical too, you know, and another thing that happens is that they had was also, well, I also think that having guys in house just fosters a certain level of chemistry when you're living and, and, and breathing together, you know, the whole time you think about artists like the dungeon family with, with, um, you know, outcasts and goody mob and those guys literally being in the same space all day with organized every noise. day. Yeah. yeah. There's just like an artistic mind meld that happens. Um, but Derek mixed by Ali, um, is also their engineer. And it's very, very rare that an engineer becomes known as he was. He, he was an engineer. He's a DJ, um, for their, for their tours. But he's reached the level of, I'd say, like a Bob Powers, you know, who, who did, you know, Erica and D'Angelo and The Roots and A Tribe Called Quest and, you know, all the great Soul Quarians music and, and many other things. Uh, I put him up there with Young Guru, Jay-Z's uh, famous engineer. Um, Dre has complimented him. You know, uh, he actually did Good Kid, Mad City. A lot of people thought that Dre would do it since he was signed to Aftermath, but but Ali did it. Um, you know, can you think of others like that, like uh, engineers who reached that kind of level? 
you know, before Guru entered the fold, you know, and I, and, you know, I didn't realize until a couple weeks ago with the passing of Chucky Thompson, how far back Young Guru goes. But uh, I remember Super, uh, Super Producer Duro, we would see that all through the 90s on you know, Cameron Records, and, and he was like DJ Clue's partner, and that was like the engineer that you always saw. And the other one that I'll, I'll say, too, is Eddie Sancho, who was Premier's guy at D&D. And, you know, Death Row kind of had a, had, a, had a cast, but guys like you and I that read the liner notes, um, you know, today, Eddie Sancho was the D&D guy. And he went on, now he works with, I think, Alchemist a lot, certainly Evidence and those guys. You learn how these mixes sound differently person to person. And you're absolutely right. You know, Derek Mixed by Ali, which I thought was such a dope name, um, became such a, you know, you learn the cast of characters. And he was certainly one of them, but in a way that only the top, you know, maybe 3% of engineers ever get to be. Absolutely. So 2010 comes, and this is when I think TDE goes to a different level of uh, recognition. Um, a lot of this fuel, we just had Mickey Fax and Blue on last week, and they were freshmen in 2007 for XXL, or 2008. And then in 2010, J-Rock is named uh, as a XXL freshman in what some believe is maybe the greatest class of all time. Uh, that class also featured J. Cole, Wiz Khalifa, Freddie Gibbs, Big Sean, and Nipsey Hussle. And I think Charles Hamilton, too. Um, it's, it's insane, um, you know, J-Rock you know, being, um, you know, being part of that. And it just propels him to a different level and also TDE with him. Yeah, 100%. I do think Blue and, um, Blue and Mickey were 09, as was Charlton, if I'm not mistaken, and Asher Roth and, and that crew. But this is a great cover. And I remember at the time being somewhat skeptical because, you know, the cover began in 08 with, you know, uh, Crooked Eye and, and Joel Ortiz and it was evolving. But all of these artists were, you know, major label artists at the time. And I remember thinking like, you know, how much does that, does that interplay with this? Some of them, and I can't remember with each one what they had put out. I know um, I was slower to the party with some more than others. But this list proves itself so well over time. You're absolutely right. Every one of these freshmen uh, that you just mentioned graduated for damn sure. Yeah, for sure. And then September, Kendrick drops Overly Dedicated. And I think this is really the beginning for him when he's starting to create uh, quite a buzz for himself. I'm seeing his name uh, in a lot of places. Um, and it coincides with what I think is the prime, if not, it's probably the early to mid part of the prime for the blog era, you know, and, um, you know, it's sites too, but like everyone referred to any hip hop online site as a blog pretty much at that point. And, you know, the, the key, uh, the key sites were not right, which, you know, was always one of my favorites. Um, salute to SK, like, um, you know, really, uh, an originator and, and, and his game. Yeah. Two Dope Boys, um, Mecca and Shake, who I know you know, and, um, you know, still to this day, a, a critical influencer. Rap Radar, Elliot Wilson, you know, Hip Hop DX, this guy Jake Payne was holding them down. Um, and Double XL, Pigeon and Planes, and then on Smash, too. So, you know, Kendrick is now on all of those sites regularly. I still wasn't fully into the music because... I literally just had a, a, a foolish, like superficial reaction. Like uh, I pulled a Jake Payne 
And I thought his name sounded too R&B. And I'm like, Kendrick Damn. Lamar, that's like an R&B name. This dude can't rhyme. Like, well, you know, so I, I still wasn't fully checking for it yet. Um, but I, I got to imagine you were covering him at this point. Is that right? At this point, no. I mean, you know, so a little, little bit of context. Um, Andreas Hale, who later went to BET and is now, you know, one of the top, you know, MMA and boxing um, correspondents and, and has his own podcast. You know, he was back and forth between Vegas and L.A. And before I arrived at Hip Hop DX, Dre was the editor in chief. And he had that site looking so tight, especially for the L.A. underground. So artists like Blue, Tyron, you know, Kendrick, Fashan, who I know is from Fresno, like those guys were getting a lot of love um, on that site. And the music director of that site was Shake, you know, who went on to become one of the two dope boys one of our top bloggers and, and also somebody who was, you know, writing reviews and, and news pieces and features was Mecca. Those guys in, in, in 2009, uh, excuse me, in, I believe February of 2008, start Two Dope Boys as a side project of like, yo, there's only so many hours in a day. There's this guy, Jake Payne, who, you know, wants to cover things this way. And maybe we don't have enough room for the unsigned or whatever. I, and I'm kind of joking with that, but they started this blog that became right up there, you know, most influential music blogs of all time, beyond hip hop. And I really think when you talk about TDE and you talk about Kendrick, all the names that you mentioned are very valuable, but I really think a special um, few steps up the ladder is Two Dope Boys because, you know, Shake is, was, uh, you know, in Vegas, Mecca was in LA at the time. They were very aware of what was going on, you know, in the streets and also i mean this was i guess right around the time of twitter and in the tweets and they knew how to cover these projects in a way that an established site like a dx or an all hip-hop or you know a double xl isn't going to be able to so i see the name more and more i'm sure that shake and kathy ondali who replaced shake as the, as the the music editor at the site i'm sure we were you know getting looks but it wasn't something that was in my face and on my radar and i'll admit that a lot of those other folks that are in that 2000 list were, you know, just like J-Rock, I'm, I'm one of the first people to cover Wiz in any capacity. We have the same hometown. Um, but yeah, man, I, I still am going to kind of throw out a late pass. I was a little tardy. Yeah, man. Um, salute to the boys for sure, because I remember seeing uh, TDE in general and especially Kendrick all over that site in 2010. Um, this is when I was just starting out with AFH doing it, you know, a couple days a week and, and seeing if I could um, if I could make any traction and incidentally, you know, going back to the conversation about the importance of labels, it was in September of 2010 that I challenged myself to see if I could actually write an article every day. Um, you know, if there was enough material to cover something daily. And so the first thing that I did was I, I counted down the 25 greatest record labels of all time. Um, and, you know, certainly Rockus was on that. Um, and number one was Def Jam. I think I had Death Row and then Bad Boy. Tommy Boy. Um, like two and three. Tommy Boy was on there Rough for sure. Yeah. yeah, Cold Chillin'. Had a bunch of them, you know. Um, but, you know, TDE would certainly make that list now. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But so 2011 comes. And this is when TDE really fully transitions from mixtapes to albums. So in January, um, well, you, you talk about this, J-Rock, talk about J-Rock, what happened. So this was interesting, and this, this is absolutely, I mean, in 2009, 2010, you know, J-Rock is making music. He does a, he does a video with Lil Wayne, 
he's but you know like you say with Kendrick he's figuring out his voice his position what he represents um and in January J-Rock is photographed in the studio with Dr. Dre and this has kind of become a rap cliche I mean we've covered it sometimes on Ambrosia for Heads when you know Dre and LL Cool J of course you know working on an album Dre and KRS-One you know who had worked together some years ago back working together but, you know, I mean, Dre goes to the studio every day. And if you're lucky enough, I just saw it recently. We even uh, shared it on the AFH Instagram account. Diamond D and Dre were together in the studio. I think Exhibit brought Diamond to the lab. But it meant a lot with, with J-Rock. And I, for the reasons that I think I mentioned a little bit ago, Dre has been the kingmaker on the West Coast. Um, so when he was knighting new, new talent, it really meant something. And the fact that he was aware of J-Rock after the success that Dre has had with, you know, the game and Nocturnal and Exhibit and, you know, other folks out there, it really meant something. And I remember that. Um, and this was before, you know, artists were taking photos day in and day out. It meant something. We covered it on DX and everyone was speculating, is J-Rock, is, is J-Rock going to make this situation with Aftermath or is Dre going to help him at Warner um, you know, what did it all mean? And that was really cool for J-Rock. Yeah. And then in March, Kendrick joins J-Rock as a double XL freshman. And his class is not too shabby either. He's got Meek Mill, Big Crit, Saha the Prince, Yellow Wolf, Fred the Godson, Mac Miller, YG, and Lil B, the bass god, so, um, and more. So, I mean, uh, Kendrick is definitely making a name for himself as well. Uh, Schoolboy Q and Ab Soul release projects. Um, uh, long-term mentality for, for Soul, which is uh, really one that's widely regarded by his fans, and then Setback for Q. And then in June, um, Hood Gonna Love It, J-Rock's single comes out. And produced by the Justice League, man, still one of my favorite tracks of all time. Those violins, the drums are just huge on it. It's one of my favorite um, yeah. It's incredible, just absolutely incredible. And Justice League was doing like um, Aston Martin music for Rick Ross, and they were in and, and luxury tax for, for Lil Wayne. You know, they were just killing the game at that yeah. point, you know. So um, that song comes out and it features Kendrick in the video, and uh, it's a really breakout verse for Kendrick. And that's around when he starts to um, really penetrate for a lot of people, um, myself included. So um, when when that that came out, he's fully on your radar at that point, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, that 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 summer I'm in KC for a weekend and, you know, Kendrick has a verse on Tech Nine's All Sixes and Sevens album, which still this day is my favorite Strange Music release. He's, you know, he's got this breakout verse and I'm not going to say he eclipsed J-Rock on that joint. What I thought was so brilliant is you talk a lot about, you know, pitches and tonality. They sound so different. Their flows are different on the song. And it's, you know, J-Rock had some hitters on that album. Like he had some guests. And at yeah, that Wayne. Point, he's, Wayne was he's on worked, that He's worked with Wayne a couple of times. And, and that, that album, even though Strange Music put it out, it was a lot of material that he had been chipping away at over the previous three years at Warner. Um, but he, it's a breakout summer. You got double XL, you got these two verses, and then, you know, you're going to talk about it. One of the true diamonds in the TD discography. Yeah. Well, um, so before I get into that, I'm going to say just a piece on Kendrick. So 
for me, that song, you know, January of 2011 is when he really was on my radar. Um, there's a song released by Terrace Martin uh, with a, a crazy uh, Stevie Wonder sample, um, which I won't name, but it features Terrace rapping and Terrace can rap, you know, uh, and then Sci High blacking out and Kendrick too. The song is called Thirsty and just unreal. Still one of my, I send it to you a song of the day, probably once every quarter or something like that. But yeah. um, that is when like, I was like, Oh, this dude, Kendrick Lamar is nice. Um, and so by the time June comes around and Hood gonna love it happens. Like I'm all in on the Kendrick. I'm on, I'm fully on the Kendrick bandwagon at this point. And Kendrick drops a couple of uh, hint. Well, he says boldly, he's the gift of the future on that rap. And, you know, we have no idea how true that that saying is going to become. But then he also he he says, good kid, mad city uh, on it. And, you know, very similar to reason with uh, new beginnings coming. He dropped uh, a hint to us of what was coming. Um, but so so rocks. But before that happens, though, he drops um Still one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, I personally believe that Kendrick has four classics, starting with this one, um, Section 80. Section 80 comes out. The song ADHD, as soon as I heard that, man, the chords, um, seeing the video. The video had nothing to do with the song. It was recorded in Johnny Shipes' office. Did you know that? Damn, I didn't. Either you told me that or somebody else. Maybe Shipes told me that himself. That's wild. I did not realize yeah. that. Yeah. You want to tell people who Shipes is? Yeah, founder of Cinematic Entertainment and uh, person who introduced me to Nipsey Hussle in, in 20, 2005, 2006. Just a really good dude. I still do a lot of work for his company today. Yeah, Cinematic Music Group. He had Big Crit, uh, Smoke Dizza, uh, like a lot of people. T-Pain, Cameron. I mean, they've yeah. also become a, a company that artists go well into their careers. And now, I mean, they're killing it with... Um, Youngin Ace and you know Lost Soldier and Big Yevo and like they're they're really taking markets like Jacksonville and Alabama and putting it on and their GM is a good friend of mine too Chris Hershey and, and just a phenomenal company that's empowered artists and you'll never see an artist um, you know speak ill of cinematic like that you know Mick Jenkins is another artist that's been with them a long time Joey Badass I don't even know if he said that Joey yeah Joey I actually interviewed Joey and Pro Era uh, the whole crew and um, in the cinematic office where ADHD was shot back when Joey was like 15 16 something like that he was like a little kid it was crazy but so yeah uh, cinematic and TDE were tied at this point and so they just shot the ADHD video there um, there was Cushion Corinthians on that album Rigor Mortis Poe Man's um, Dreams, one of po a song that can that can, you know, affect me emotionally, like the, ultimately one of my favorite songs, high powered, produced by J. Cole, who's another artist of the moment. One of I think it's J. Cole's it's top three beat of his all time. And Kendrick just destroys it, comes late at the album, uh, the Ronald Reagan era. There are so many joints on that album. Yeah, uh, High Power, you know, because of that cold collaboration for years, people would speculate that he and Kendrick were going to make a joint album. And they fueled the fire for a little bit, but unfortunately that that hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, going back to Poe Man's Dreams, like, it affected me emotionally too. And um, to the point where when my son was accepted into college, um, that's the first song I played, you know, and I, I hit Dave 
after that and let him know and asked him to, you know, um, thank Kendrick for me. And, you know, he said, said he would. So, um, yeah, man, just a lot of great songs. And that rigor mortis though, was the song where Kendrick was just cutting heads, you know, uh, just like, that was his, like, I can rap rap song. And later on, it got a, a remix with Buster Rhymes. Uh, remember that? Yo, I had forgotten that, but I sure do now. Yeah. I mean, and to me, you said four classics. I wholeheartedly agree. To me, this is Kendrick's rookie season. And I, I, one of my pet peeves of, you know, the semantics debate of like mixtape versus album, um, you know, calling to pimp a butt, or excuse me, to call Good Kid Mad City a debut is such an injustice to this album because even though it was never on physical copy, I, I bought one and TD was mailing out, um, you know, like computer printed CDRs that if you ran your finger, you could scratch off the text in, in a cheap plastic thing with the liner notes. Actually, I think I, I bought it off Mecca because he had like an extra one from Two Dope Boys, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been Shake. But, you know, this, this album epitomizes the blog era and its fullest potential. You know, an artist can make an album that is readily available for free and it can compete. This is 2011. To me, this is a better album than Watch the Throne. I've always said that. I know that that may upset people, but to me, that is how I remember that year. Um, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I agree fully. And I, I, I knew that he was a special talent at this point. Like there was just no denying it. And um, because I was doing AFH the whole time I was at BET, um, it, it, it basically served as like, like, um, like a funnel, like an A&R source for me, you know? And so I was up on Kendrick sooner than most people in the building were. And because of that, um, really was able to forge a relationship with them and help uh, establish them in the building. And so I remember distinctly the day that the cipher was taped. And this was like, I think September of 2011 It was the first time I met Kendrick and Dave. They came, sat in my office, and, you know, um, I was joking with Kendrick. I was like, yo, you work hard, right? Uh, I said, some people might think you're a little overly dedicated. And, you know, they cracked a smile uh, at my dad joke, you know. Uh, <laughs> cool, cool uh, rap dad yeah, joke, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, later on at the Cypher, it was raining that day, too. And I get, got a call. Hey, you know, this is Dave. You know, um, can you let them know that we're down here, that they don't know who we are? As, and like that is just so telling, you know, like they were so new to the game that people didn't even realize, you know, who they were. And then they went up and Kendrick, of course, killed it. Um, that was the first of like three ciphers he did. He did like three ciphers in a row, something crazy like that. But we'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, at that point now, I am becoming a serious advocate for Kendrick in the building. You know, uh, I'm very passionate about him, a huge fan of not only him, but all of TDE, Rock, Q, Absol, all, all those dudes like are incredibly talented to me. And I am on a mission and I have vehicles like um, the Backroom Freestyle, which, you know, Stephen Hill, who was uh, my boss at the time, let me program, just gave me the freedom to like run with that. And so I had all those guys, you know, actually um, Kendrick recorded the first ever Backroom Freestyle, but Q recorded his on the same day and we released Q's first, I believe. Oh, wow. So he was the first to air. Um, but, you know, I'm in full motion at BET and it sounds like you and I, even though you and I didn't know each other, we were still, we were already working together 
in a similar path. So tell me about what you were doing at DX. I mean, yeah, that was an interesting year um, because 2010 was Kanye's, you know, beautiful dark twisted fantasy, and and that album, you know, ran the table. And 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 I was just talking about it yesterday. That that's the album that I re- I remember 2010 by that and by Crit was here. Um, you know, on the mixtape level, two very different projects in just terms of where they lived in the consciousness of the world. 2011 was so interesting because the whole year comes, you have Watch the Throne, which is this just diamond encrusted album, literally it's artwork um, at a high level. And, and Otis Forever is a great song. But to me, you know, I, what's that expression everyone says now? You know, say the quiet part loud. I looked at it and I felt a responsibility to hip hop to say the quiet part really loud. And this is, I also think this is a time of social media clout chasing and everything else. And to me, Kendrick Lamar hands down made the best album that year with Section 80. And, um, you know, and also, I mean, long-term mentality was a rookie. Like this whole movement is really um, galvanizing right now and getting really interesting. And I am at what I consider to be, you know, apart from World Star, which is a video site, the largest hip hop news site on the web. And we're doing a really good job. We have a big staff. We, a lot of pressure, a lot of headaches, a lot of fires. But I wanted that year to give this kid from Compton his flowers for making an album that you couldn't even grab at Best Buy. And it's always been a democratic process, but we've, as a staff, we've, you know, sort of like what you and I have done at times with Ambrosia, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of put together the possibilities and then just see if a staff echoes it. But that year, that was the album of the year for us. And the album of the year meant something in 2011, um, especially from a site like that. And if you don't choose somebody as album of the year, you could potentially, um, you know, affect a relationship. You know, we've, we've all heard st- stories of Wale, you know, flipping out at Complex or flipping out at DX. And, you know, we gave Kendrick his flowers and it wasn't politically at all. It wasn't political at all. I think at the time, you know, it was, uh, we didn't stand a lot to gain by that, but I'm really proud of that decision. And when I look at my 20 years in this game, those times where I've raised my voice or really, you know, put down for somebody that I felt was deserving and maybe not a cloud chaser. Um, I'm really, really, really proud of that legacy, much, much like you and you're doing it on a, really, you know, really high level with television too, because, you know, what are the network is putting Schoolboy Q and Kendrick on, not just to sit on a couch or to be on for three minutes, but to rap, to do what they love. You know, yeah, huge. man. And I was doing it on the AFH side too, in addition to covering them uh, and articles, I also did my first interview with Kendrick at this point, you know, so it was, I think, October of 2011. Um, it was after he did a show and it was late as hell. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I go back to his hotel. I think it was the, the Royalton or something like that. And my camera guy and I are in the lobby and Kendrick is really tired, but you know, he turns it on. Those dudes are, are just such professionals. And um, I did a series called where it all began it's still up on YouTube. I did it with him and Rhapsody and big crit and styling a bunch of other people, but I asked them the same five questions you know, what's the first piece of music you bought with your own money? Um, who was your first favorite MC? Uh, what's the first time you experienced hip hop um, live and in the flesh? Uh, who brought you to hip hop? And when did you know this is when you wanted to be what you wanted to do for your career? And it was then that, you know, Kendrick was talking to me about DMX and how like um, DMX filled the void 
that Tupac left. And, you know, there's powerful um, words he has for, for X, rest in peace. He talks about being at the, the shoot, which is now a very famous story, but he talked about that early on with me, about being at that California Love shoot with, with Snoop and Dre. And, um, you know, it was just really, uh, I remember being so amped to be able to get that footage because I knew he was going to be special. And he shouts out AFH and he says, you better tune in, which, you know, we use now um, for uh, a lot of our stuff. But yeah, so, so yeah, I'm really forging that relationship with TDE at this point too. So on both levels. So 2012 comes and now it's just clear to everyone that this is a juggernaut label to be um, reckoned with. So Q uh, releases Habits and Contradictions um, in January to set the year off. And a lot of people believe still that this is his best album. Um, I think I I'd probably go, that. you believe that? Yeah, I, I think I will go oxymoron, but I'm not going to fight you on this. Like, it's, it's got There You Go and Hands on the Wheel with ASAP Rocky, my hating joint, you know, produced by Mike Will, which is crazy. Um, Groove Line with like Dom Kennedy and Currency. Blessed, produced by Dave Free, uh, uses a, an insane sample. Um, and that that features Kendrick. Very, very powerful song. Um, probably my favorite Q song of all time. Uh, but I know this album was special for you. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, I always look at years in music as seasons. And, you know, to watch a two, you know, to watch a Pippin and Jordan like this, um, and that's not to discredit J-Rock, um, but all of a sudden as new artists, um, that, that, I guess that is not the best analogy, to watch TDE do it with two different artists in 2011 and then boom, come with 12 with Q um, on another just kind of sneak attack album, like no no hype machine around it, no, no fanfare. I mean, this is pre-Instagram of like, yo, I'm going to drop. It just came. And to see some of these names involved, to see Alchemist involved, to see um, it, you know, was sacri- was a sacrilegious, crazy joint. Um, albums, album is insane. And, and Stephen Horowitz, who's now at TikTok, was our news editor. And he was such a strong advocate of this album. And I remember coming into 2012 and thinking, well, wow, you know, TDE is really, really competing in a way that, you know, I'm not sure other labels are to be this good, this fast. Um, and only at this time, J-Rock is the only one that has any major backing him. And it wasn't even a major at that point. It was strange. So, yeah, it just starts to look like, um, you know, an all-star team. How about that of emerging voices? Word. And so March comes and I have been putting together a panel for BT for um, South by Southwest. The panel was moderated by TJ Holmes, you know, the reporter who was um, was working with us at BT at the time and is now uh, Good Morning America. I'm sure a lot of people know him. Um, it And it featured Kevin Lyles, you know, um, former president of Def Jam, president of uh, and CEO of 300, like just a super OG in the game. Um, Tatiana Simonian, who was the uh, head of Twitter music at that time, Jana Fleischman, who was um, is uh, the PR person, the head of PR for Rock Nation and, and a, a partner to Jay-Z and many things, myself and Kendrick, you know. Um, and so the night before, I, I'd had the guys come up to my room um, and I interviewed Kendrick, Q, J-Rock and Soul, like all four members of Black Hippie. 
shout out to Ray Alba. You know, this is this is a celebration of everybody who's been a part of this, you know. Um, shout out to him who was doing uh, press for uh, for at least for for Aftermath. But I think for I think and Interscope and maybe for TDE generally, but like, you know, you hooked it up and, um, you know, so uh, I interviewed those guys there and afterwards we went downstairs and Nardwar was interviewing Kendrick. And so I stood in the room and watched uh, that unfold when that was a head trip seeing Nardwar um, because he's just he's he's just in person. He's just like he is in the interviews. And for those who look at that interview um, closely, I'll make a cameo because he does it. He pans the room, has his camera guy pan the room at one point. And you see me in the background real quick there. Um, but that, that was a highlight, man. Um, and I say that because I want it to be a placeholder for how much things would change within a year. You know, so in March of 2012, um, you know, I have these guys come to my room to to interview them um, and we'll get to March of 2013 in a minute. But like the, the change that was coming was seismic, like like shifting. Um, so, May, you want to talk about uh, Absol's album? Yeah, Absol comes with what I consider to be his second, you know, like true album um, control system. And, and I think this, you know, for Ab is probably my favorite um, and it's, it's really unconventional. Um, you know, he has terrorist threats with Danny Brown and Janae Koo, Pineal Gland, and my song. And I recently sent this to you as, as a song of the day, Illuminate. And what's crazy is just the self-conviction that Ab has. Um, because even at this time, I mean, you, you look at what the previous year has been. Um, and Ab, you know, of the four, starts to seem like the underdog. Because J-Rock dropped. You know, Kendrick gets all of this praise in 2011. And then, boom, beginning of 12, you got Q. And Absol more than delivered. But, you know, there's his lyrics in Illuminate. But he says, so you can take your top five list, dead or alive, and put me, put me after M. And that was some, that was some KRS-One shit. To, like, <laughs> come in and, and just, like, like, do that. I, uh, I love that. And then he has another line that blew me away at a time when, you know, you talk about TDE using, you know, Johnny Shipe's office and, you know, we, we know that there's, you know, that Jay-Z pays attention to everything. And, you know, he said, I used to want to rap like Jay-Z. Now I feel like I'm running laps around Jay-Z. Now I ain't seen nothing this nasty. Like, Absol came out with the gall, like, to, to do that. But I listened to that song and, um, it has, uh, it's not on, and I'm not, this is not a week to be sample snitching, but I am very convinced that that song has an uncredited sample to a 1980s, uh, you know, pop hit. And it was just so different. Everything about it. I have this memory of driving a rental car um, through the desert in Arizona and just listening to that again and again and again. And at this point, man, I'm online. I'm trying to get a TD hoodie. You know, I'm not wearing hats in 2012, but I want a TD hat. These guys are just insane. And Ab, like Kendrick, like J-Rock, not as much Q, but he's not a guy that runs to the spotlight. But yet he has these bars that get everyone talking. And, you know, it's sort of like we recently said about Jadakiss naming an album Top 5 Dead or Alive. Even though, it, you know, Jadakiss's best days, in my opinion, came recently, with hopefully more to come. No one told Jadakiss he was wrong. And at that point, I don't think anybody thought Absol was crazy for bars like that. 
he just really believed he was he was that dude and that was a song on you know with kendrick lamar so what's that tell you yeah man and another standout thing from that album for me was the black lip bastard remix um that featured kendrick q and j-rock you know um one of like several joints that was all four of them and that would fuel rumors that there was going to be a black hippie full project again which never materialized you know part of me still holds out hope that even with tde with kendrick leaving tde that that's something that that you know you know even if it's 10 12 15 years down the road I think that would be amazing, but um, that song just kind of like lets you know the promise of what that project would sound like because they all just killed it. And TDE, is that your favorite? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but is that your favorite Black Hippie Posse cut? No, um, it's um, it's uh, a remix that they did. Um, it's it's not to that part. Um, I'll think of it. I'll think of okay. it. But but they they did a remix later on, like three years later, that was just Kendrick blacked out on it and Rock blacked out on it. It was just incredible. But um, so that's another thing that TDE though did that all the great labels of the past did as well, which they featured their artists on multiple songs of each artist project, always exposing them to each other's fan bases and keeping going. And you know, so that summer. You know, we did a Music Matters. Music Matters was our emerging uh, artist platform. We did our first ever uh, Music Matters tour, and it featured all of Black Hippie. Uh, and um, so Kendrick, Q, Rock, Soul, and and also Stally. Stally was kind of like the odd man out, but um, that was their first ever national tour, I believe. Uh, it's like 23 cities, something like that. I went to um, it, man. I didn't even know you. Oh, as they were, yeah, I, I, yeah. I went to the one at Terminal Five. Um, I think that was in October. You went, you went in Philly. Yeah, which was also October. And what was crazy is, you know, packed house, absolutely captivated crowd in Philly. If you're not the Roots or Meek Mill or Freeway, it can be a hard city to win over. It was captivated, and I had seen Kendrick at a Brooklyn hip hop festival perform, possibly in 2010, possibly in 2011. I'd have to look or ask West, but. You know, Kendrick came on early in the day as people are like milling around drinking beer, like introducing himself to the crowd. This was like headliner status. It was crazy. And I think the night that I went, I do not, Q was there, but he didn't perform. And what I've come to realize is, didn't you tell me Q got a nasty cold on that tour? Um, he didn't. Kendrick lost his voice on the tour. Okay. At one point. Um, you might be thinking of the, the South by Southwest story. Uh, I, oh, yeah. So I'll tell you, so... So they also did a performance at South by Southwest um, and uh, Q had been performing all day and he was just exhausted. Um, and he went backstage, came in and like threw up. He was just so sick. And I thought he was going to have to not be able to perform. He looked like he was dying. It was incredible. And I asked David, he's okay. He's like, yo, he'll, he'll be all right. And he's like, I was like, okay. And so he then, like, as soon as he hits the stage, he comes out, he's jumping up and down. He's got so much energy. You wouldn't believe it. You would think this guy was like, and it just showed me what a professional he is and just how much heart he has, you know? So um, yeah, just, just an incredible, incredible um, performer and dedication, you know? So uh, but so that's September and October, but October um, is a huge month for um, for TDE and Kendrick specifically. So at the BT Awards, 
uh, October 9th, Kendrick is named Hip Hop Lyricist of the Year. Um, and then um, two weeks later, Good Kid, Mad City drops um, on October 22nd. Now, he had previewed that in New York in September. And I went to the preview uh, party. It was in the studio. I'd say it's probably like 70, 80 people. It was raining like cats and dogs, just, just like hurricane-like weather. Uh, but people showed up. And man, he didn't play the album in order. He played, um, uh, I, th I think he played, um, he didn't play Shireen. I think he played, um, I can't remember what he played first, but the second song he played was Back Backseat Freestyle. And um, that was like, when you hear, you know, uh, Kendrick have a dream, Martin have a dream, you know, it was like, whoa. Like, um, and we all left thinking, man, this is going to be crazy, but nothing prepared us for hearing the album in order with the skits and hearing the story unfold and, and the concept, it was just, I remember listening to it on headphones uh, in the dark. Cause when I really want to zone out and hear something, I'll, I'll do that. And just, it, it blew me away. I'd heard swimming pools over the summertime um, and um, the recipe, which was the first single recipe didn't blow me away. I was a bit disappointed, you know, especially since Dre was on it. Swimming pools is when I said, okay, here we go. But hearing those songs in the context of the album completely changed them for me. And Kendrick came to uh, 106 uh, in part a couple of days later, and I went to Best Buy beforehand um, and bought Good Kid, Mad City on CD. I think it may be the last CD I ever purchased. And um, I bought it because I wanted him to sign it for me. Um, and I, I have it to this day on my wall, like, um, you know, frame because it, it meant that much to me, man, just to have, because I, I knew what a special artist he was at that point and how special the album was going to be. So yeah, I was, I was in full fandom nerd, nerd mode at that point. That's what's up. I mean, I remember that album dropping very well and um, you know, everyone, everyone expected Dre to have such a presence on it, you know, during this time, between 2011 and 2012, Kendrick formally signs to Aftermath, something that, again, people had speculated would happen with J-Rock and didn't, and it happened with Kendrick. And, you know, Top Dog has known Dre and known a lot of these people through life and through the way, you know, the communities in LA work. Um, but, you know, at that time, everyone is just like, yo, what's Kendrick going to sound like if he gets this crazy Dre production? Because we also all remember the game and documentary. Album comes out, Dre doesn't produce a single song and no one seems to care. You know, it's like cool without the features. Like Kendrick took this thing that I feel like in a lot of ways had been bastardized of like, oh, who produced what? And just made a great ass album and delivered it. And for me, um, I just remember the title track, you know, the title transition tracks. And to me to hear Mad City for the first time was such an affirmation of my love of West Coast hip hop. Um, and gangster rap and to hear MC8 who is not the the Dre who is not the you know the Snoop but somebody who people know you and I have had him on this podcast one of my favorite episodes is so integral to that sound and to what Compton means as an identity and to put him in that moment for years that was the most streamed Kendrick Lamar song on Spotify never got a video was never formally shopped as a single and it's still a classic record among Kendrick Lamar fans. And that album just blew me away because there were so many different pockets of it existing in the world. Swimming pools, Mad City, um, you know, 
uh, Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe. And yet it's a really cohesive album from the way it's sequenced, to your point. Yeah, you know, he played Mad City at that listening party. And, you know, they, they didn't give us a heads up as to who was featured on what songs. And so hearing Drake on Poetic Justice was like a, like a, a mind blower. But when you heard MC8's voice come on and it changed and it became that really menacing beat. It was like, holy shit. The whole energy in the room changed, man. It was just unreal. Like, yeah. So, and so Kendrick, now this is, this is, this takes him to a completely different level at this point. Like um, I remember driving around New York city and I'm sure this has happened since, but I couldn't remember hearing an album being played more out of a car since like life is De- life after death since Biggie died. Like um, it was that prevalent. It was everywhere um, at a time where you, you just didn't, you didn't hear music like blaring out of cars like you used to. So, and, you know, I'll go back to that South by Southwest story because this is the point I really wanted to make is that, this is the first person that I was with who I knew before and after and went through the transition of them becoming famous, famous, like all caps famous, you know? Um, And I knew it's, it really crystallized for me six months later when Kendrick um, performed at Roseland, you know, it was a storied venue in the fifties in Manhattan. It held like, you know, 5,000 people, something like that. He sold it out twice in one night. And again, I don't know what it is with, with his events, but it was pouring raining and people lined up around the entire block, you know, and Manhattan blocks in Midtown are, are huge, but the line went around the entire block twice for the show it was general admission. So people were lining up in order to get, you know, a good position. But then I was like, Holy shit, this dude is famous like um and you know um it was wild and you know it just it only kept going up from there month after the album dropped i went to a clippers game at the staples center and kedrick and top dog were sitting there with steve berman from interscope records and who plays jerry heller in the f with dre day video and like five seasons down was wale kendrick and wale you know dapped it up but throughout the entire game you know wale had been around you know a minute you know mm Maybach Music Group had a had a moment, you know, earlier than this, you know, like two or three years earlier. And, you know, I mean, but this is hometown and people would not, you know, to the point where the Staples Center had to get three or four security guards behind just so Kendrick and Top could enjoy the game. And I thought that that was so interesting. This is a month after, you know, his major label debut. And that speaks to your point very much. Mm. You know, he was on um, SNL in January, too, for the first time, January of 2013. You know, and that's always kind of like a, an anointment, too, you know. And um, so but it's in August that uh, or actually in June, he performed at the BT Awards. Um, he performed with Erica. Don't kill my vibe. I had a little hand in that. Um, and that's when I got the, the greatest picture of my life. Uh, I have a picture of myself in between. Kendrick and Erica and, you know, um, arguably my two favorite artists of all time. The only other one who would be in that boat is is probably Prince. Um, But to have a shot like that was just, uh, it was, I was done. Like I'm, I'm good. You know, like you're talking about the remix, right? Um, Yeah. Well, they, no, I'm talking about uh, Kendrick and Erica performing together the the actual song on the BT awards. Yeah. 
So I was at the rehearsal and I got a pick with them. Um, but in August of 2013, um, something else crazy happens. It takes Kendrick again to a different level. You want to talk about that? Control, man. I, uh, it was right around this time of year. I remember I was driving back from Raleigh, North Carolina, and you were like, yo, this song, we got to cover it. And I, I had taken a little vacation, something I wasn't always able to do with DX. And you and I, I mean, we've been working together at this point for like six weeks and Control comes out and it's, you know, this song that's a big Sean song featuring Kendrick Lamar and Jay Electronica. I mean, three heavy hitters together. And, you know, Kendrick has a verse that makes Ab Soul's verse on Illuminate look bashful, you know, <laughs> of just coming at the game um, and really in a way that I don't know if rap has ever seen before, but being like, to use uh, an illustration, you say, I'm on this spot, take it from me, move me off this mountain. And it, at a time when, you know, you mentioned the, the pinnacle of blog era at a time when I think rap was figuring out how to, how to excite the media. I cannot think of a more exciting thing in 2013 than that control verse. And it's, it's to a song that has still never been formally released that the way that it was um, in that moment. Yeah. I mean, news cycles at this point, are two days max, you know, for almost anything, three days. Um, and this was in the hip hop news and actually pop culture news for two weeks. Like people were talking about it endlessly. And there was, you, you probably remember like an endless stream of people responding to him, uh, Papoose and like, you know, probably like 20 other people. Kendrick Joel, said that, yeah. yeah, Kendrick said that uh, King Los, he thought was, was, was the best response to him. But Kendrick in the verse put himself in the conversation with Nas, Eminem, Andre 3000 and Jay-Z, uh, you know, and then he told J. Cole, Big Crit, Wale, Drake, Pusha T, Meek Mill, Mac Miller, Tyler, the creator, ASAP Rocky, Jay Electronica and Big Sean that he was trying to murder them. Like, I mean, like he, he named names and like, it was it was unreal, just the competitiveness. And, you know, it was a moment I was watching. Um, I was oh watching Royce and um, Mickey in their first IG live. And Royce was talking about verses that changed culture. And at the top of his list, it seemed to be Black Black Thoughts Freestyle from Hot 97 a few years ago with Flex. But he he referenced Kendrick's control versus one of those verses, too. And um it was unreal. It was just absolutely unreal. I mean, deeper than that, too. I mean, we at that point, I think hip hop is used to beefs. There's beefs every day in the news cycle of who's got a problem with who. And this kind of, again, was a was a bring back not only to the battles of the early 90s and the 80s, but also the battles that existed in schoolrooms, in lunch tables, in parks, in park jams, and how many ciphers. Like Kendrick is a hip hop purist. And this was just a super authentic move that, I mean, you know, you talk about Kendrick's sense of humor and jokey side. This is, this is like a, Hey, you know, like, like match me, like we're going to play horse, but we're going to do it on the highest level of emceeing. And I think that that is again at a really weird time. I mean, this is, this is the same summer of, you know, Kanye and Mac Miller and J. Cole dropping on the same day in June. This is, this is a guy that is just making everyone around him, you know, step it up sort of like versus, you know, like, yo, let's, let's make this, let's make this fun again. 
And that's what it that's what it did. But I also know that, you know, Big Sean might not have seen it that way. Yeah. I mean, there were some implications as much as it propelled Kendrick. And like you said, fuel competitiveness. Big Sean uh, felt away because it was his record. And, um, you know, he knew the verse was on there. I mean, he released it, you know, but I, I don't think he expected it to have the reaction that it did. And in a lot of ways, people just thought it was Kendrick Lamar's song and, and he was completely forgotten. And so, um, you know, they had a split that wasn't really healed until seemingly maybe like uh, a year or two ago, like, uh, you know, based on Big Sean's verse recently. And then um, it also rubbed Drake the wrong way. You know, Drake had brought Kendrick and I think Cole too, or, you know, or ASAP Rocky um, on tour with him. Club Paradise. Uh, tour. Yeah. The Club Paradise tour when Drake was popping and before these guys got to the levels that they got to. And he saw it as an affront, you know, um, that, you know, Kendrick would, would say that about him, even though, you know, it was all fun and games and, you know, given how he would help, he'd help to put him on. And so, you know, despite their having collaborated on poetic justice and then on, uh, take care um or marvin's room um you know they would never work together again you know and, and i don't know i still don't know if it's all good you know so it definitely changed things uh for them um but that wasn't the end of the story you know um kendrick built on that control and doubled down with uh arguably the greatest cypher verse of all time this is october now and um you know, TDE had their cipher. Uh, I was there and it was incredible because they had done it in a way where they, there was no break, you know, and each one would finish and, and pass off to the other one, like on that word, almost like EPMD trading verses on Nas, on, um, on the Nas song. And it was just so fresh. Um, Kendrick did an intro, you know, and then, you know, J-Rock and, and Q and Soul and, and Isaiah Rashad did the heavy lifting. And so uh, it was Isaiah Rashad's introduction to the world for most people. Most people didn't know who he was. SZA was also in the background and no one knew who, knew who she was either. So again, this is TDE being incredibly strategic. They knew what a, a powerful vehicle the hip hop awards were and the ciphers especially. So they were rolling out their new artists, you know, on a, on a national stage like that. Um, and, you know, everyone else had uh, like, I think, a James Brown break beat, but we gave TDE um, the Shook Ones beat. And um, Kino, um, who was a great friend of mine, uh, has managed Royce for years, was working with Slaughterhouse. And a lot of people were seeing TDE and Slaughterhouse as like, you know, that would be a dope versus, right? Like, uh, but people saw that at, because they both were going to have ciphers and people saw it as the TDE versus slaughterhouse cypher oh wow and like tino kino kino and i had a friendly bet uh and i was like i took tde of course he took his guys you know um and but then after that man um when ken so um kendrick's verse is like he's he's possessed he's taught, he's called himself like you know uh, master splinter and like you know uh, you know, he, he references control and like, ha ha jokes on you. Like, uh, I'm bulletproof. Like he just snaps, goes crazy. And like, it, it really, really, um, it, it stole the show. Literally. It, it took the whole night. Now, what most people don't know is that verse almost didn't happen. It was Kendrick's intention not to really rap in the cypher. He came, he did the intro 
and he wanted to let his guys shine. You know, he he wanted to like uh, you know kind of stand a background. And we were like, yo, like, <laughs> are you gonna do a verse? And so then he did the verse, and it ended up being like I said that one of the greatest verses in cipher history. And so, uh, but that was that was that was unreal. That was that was that was magic. Man, checking all the boxes. Yeah, checked all the boxes. What what was your reaction when you saw that? I remember. I mean, you were obviously there, and I remember that night because I had to get home to cover it real time. And I remember the, you know, you and I were newly working together as far as Ambrosia, that's your baby. I'm kind of like the babysitter on the big night out. And, uh, you know, I remember being very locked in in the moment and it wasn't until, you know, like a day or so later of really appreciating the glory of that. And I think it's funny too. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit jokey with the checking the boxes, but Kendrick has these incredible verses. You know, you mentioned the Terrace Martin joiner. I think a cartoon and serial that are not, you know, in the traditional catalog. They just kind of exist if you know where to find them. And I think that, you know, that's like, that's like the Banksy of, 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 you know, that's such a corny comparison, but, you know, he, he puts Easter eggs out there that are not always under your nose and not always reduced to an album or a feature. And that, that moment for him was crazy. And to our bigger point, what it said about TDE, you know, bringing Isaiah into the spotlight at that moment, scissors in the background, like this crew's moving like the way you want your friends to move. Like, um, and that's just so inspiring at a time when over the last, you know, 10 years, I think we've all seen the pettiness that comes with labels and business and all of that. And TDE, made it look like, you know, like, like naughty by nature in 91 or two of like, yo, we mob deep, like we move this way. And I just think that that's, and it, it translates to the art. Word. So at this point, TDE has established itself as probably, I think the number one label you had shady with slaughterhouse, you had MMG and this is at Ross and, and Wale and, and Stally point and meat mill. So they were formidable too, but I think TDE at this point was like on top, you know, and now they're rolling out new artists. So in 2014, you know, Isaiah drops um, the Sylvia demo EP and that's very widely regarded. Um, And then April Scissor drops her Z EP. So now they're like, they're showcasing new levels. And with Scissor, they're, 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 they're showing they can actually do more than hip hop too. Now that now they're not just Def Jam, um, they're 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 bad boy. They're you know Motown. They're uh, they're they're showcasing variety, and so, um, but they had some setbacks too. You know, in, in February, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I remember that night very well. And in February of that year, you know, Kendrick is robbed is robbed of the you know best rap album at the Grammys. Um, Hip hop was super duper upset. You know, memes are going wild because that award went to. Macklemore and Ryan Lewis for the heist. Um, <laughs> yeah. I never put that together until right now. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and it was also the same night that Kendrick puts this, you know, absolutely epic, and that's not a word I use often, performance with Imagine Dragon, which is not necessarily the Kendrick that me, your meat and potatoes hip hop guy, wants to see. But you can't tell me. I mean, I just had a I just had a text with some friends recently over the greatest rap performances in the modern TV era, like IE says Y2K. And that was on my top five list. Like that joint is crazy. And he sold it. And it was just, you know, this is also coming at a time when hip hop 
is talking a lot in new ways about cultural appropriation, about, you know, racism behind institutions. And, you know, it was a very, very weird night. And um, yeah, what do you, I mean, you were in the building, right? I was in the building, man. Um, and I was in shock when Macklemore won the award. It, it truly blew me away. Um, but then uh, when he did perform, I was like, wow, this is unreal. He did the mashup with um, Imagine Dragons for a Radioactive and Mad City. And it was just, and I, th- I think I was texting you, the, ha- the headline was like, you know, um, uh, something like Macklemore won the Grammy, but Kendrick Lamar wins the night. Um, something like that. Um, yeah. But it was incredible. And and afterwards, I, I went to an after party. Um, TDE had, and I saw him, and I and I, I just said, "Look, you know, um, you will win others. Uh, I, I know this, and you know that that was definitely um, that was definitely true. You know, um, it was definitely coming, but." I think everyone it, that was news for for a few days too. Everyone was just blown away by that, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a big season though for TDE because that same month, uh, Schoolboy Q releases Oxymoron, and it was the first uh, album as a label, or you know, excuse, yeah, first album in eighteen months. Uh, yeah, yeah, first one in eighteen months. It, it had been a while. And you, you had said a moment ago that might be your favorite Q album. Um, it was an album. I remember you and I were getting to know each other pretty well at this point, and um, you felt much more strongly about it than I did. But I think yours is the more popular opinion. What you know? What do you What do you love about Oxymoron? I went to the rec- the, the album release party. It, was, it happened to be in LA that that week, and um, I heard it. And you know it's really hard to digest albums at album release parties, uh, you know, um, on Dave, uh, season two, that they talk about how people listen to it in a bar talking. And, you know, this was, it wasn't in a bar, it was in a studio, but, um, or like a, like a art space or something like that. But, um, it's hard to really like focus on the words because you are with people and stuff like that. So, it wasn't until I really listened to the album that heard it. And, you know, songs like Man of the Year, the visuals really took it to a different level for me. Man of the Year was crazy visuals. That, I think that was Kendrick and Dave that that directed that. Collard Green's amazing video, too. Uh, and that beat is just so driving. Hell of a Night video is incredible. Studio, I talked about, you know, Ken, uh, with um, with Q singing on it, just completely different song, uh, and, and with BJ, the Chicago kid on that too. And I think the one that really was the capper for me was Break the Bank. Um, the outcome speed is mm-hmm. just so spooky. But this album epitomizes Schoolboy Q. Like, it is all about, you know, addiction and, um, and pain and, like, you know, his childhood and all the, the crazy things he saw um, and had to overcome and he just talks about it in such a real visceral way. Um, and again, like I said, as a cautionary tale, it just showed me just what a different level MCQ is. It's just more honest than almost any artist I can think of. Like he, 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 and, and that resonates with me. I think that kind of truth just speaks to me. Words. So, yeah. No, I mean, in that, uh, in a lot of ways, that was, that that was uh td kind of rolled up and, and went away for a minute right like it went back yeah. to the lab so to speak yeah yeah they don't reappear uh you know absol dropped uh, these days 
but you know, not to a lot of fanfare. And then uh, they don't really come back in earnest until March of 2015. Um, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I just, um, you know, I remember at this point, AFH is, is really, I mean, we are, uh, I consider it a well-oiled machine and we knew that this album was coming. Um, and to pimp a butterfly, I forget the exact dates, but he released it, Kendrick released it. Uh, it was on a Friday. It was on a Friday. It was supposed to be the following Tuesday, right? Yep, that's right. In the in the middle of March Madness, right? I was in the I was in the movie parking lot. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, man, I, I remember that week very well. I was, uh, <laughs> and it, it came out, and and so the beginning of 2015, Drake puts out. If you're reading this, is too late, if I'm not mistaken, which was a different kind of sneak attack album when you have one of the biggest artists across genre doing without warning album that people are texting about. And then Kendrick does it and he does it in a different way. I think we can both agree that if you're reading, this is not one of Drake's finest moments. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good body of work, but he's put out so many better in my opinion, this, you know, Kendrick arguably puts out his best record to date at this point, certainly one of his most conceptual um, and he does it at a whim. Like you were not at home at, you know, ready to receive this album. He just kind of did it on a flash. And I think it was such an incredible body of work that showed you now on album number three, by my count, everything is going to be its own um, succinct vision and commentary on what's going on in Kendrick's mind and the world at large. And yeah, I mean, this, this was an incredible, incredible body of work. Yeah, the album had leaked, and so they wanted to get ahead of it. And it was a complete departure, sonically, from Good Kid, Mad City. You know, so Kendrick is working with, um, with, with musicians. There's a lot of live instrumentation. Everyone from Robert Glasper and Thundercat to Flying Lotus and George Clinton. Uh, it's a masterful, masterful group of people. Terrace Martin's on it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it went on to be receive 11 nominations, which is the most in history for a rap artists in a single night. Um, and only one off the overall record, which was uh, shared by Michael Jackson and Babyface. Um, again, it won best, it won best rap album. So Kendrick finally gets that, but most people, including myself, believe he was robbed because he should have won the album of the year award. Um, he had an incredible performance where he is, um, he's uh, in in um, handcuffs and, and like um, and prison suits, and this is all happening while J Rock has had a major motorcycle accident and um, was badly badly hurt. So Kendrick, you know, you can only imagine what's going on in his mind uh, between like the elation of like the Grammy celebration, but then also knowing that his brother is in the hospital and, um, you know, and I think he was in critical condition for a little yeah. while. Um, you know, but that album was the gift that kept on giving all right. Um, produced by, uh, Pharrell and Soundwave went on to become the anthem, the unofficial anthem for black lives matter. Uh, unfortunately, both in 2016 and again in 2020, hmm. um, you know, the video is, uh, I think, a, a masterpiece. You know, it's black and white. It's like seven or eight minutes long, just visually stunning. It features a, a snippet of a song in the beginning that we still haven't heard. That's really super dope, you know, when in, in, the, in the car being carried by the police. 
it shows Kendrick uh, being killed um, and like floating through the through the sky. And um, I think it was Dave, directed by Dave Myers and, and maybe Dave Free too, uh, little homies uh, for that too. I can't remember. I think you're right on that one. I know it was yeah. one of the big ones, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Kulta's Groove Sessions. Kendrick did a very small uh, club uh, tour. I actually saw that in Terminal 5 um, with my son and got uh, get a chance to introduce him to um, Kendrick and, and J-Rock, which was great. Um, they both took photos with him, which had his Instagram popping, you know. Um, but that tour was incredible um, just to see it live. And it earned him a trip to the White House. He became a, a favorite for Obama, you know. Um, in fact, Obama said that how much a dollar cost from an album was his favorite song of the year. So really, really incredible. And it's wild given the artwork too of that album of, you know, folks outside the White House. And, yeah. you know, I, it always amazes me as Kendrick continues to ascend and gets more resources and more attention when he uses those to reinvest in his art. You mentioned the videos. Um, it's not always about money with Kendrick. I'm sure that that tour could have been an arena or a stadium tour easily, but the integrity um, is so, and it, it runs across TDE. You know, there's not this pressure to put out albums all the time. You can go away for a few years. You can take this time. You can put away your phone to use Kendrick's more recent statement, but it's always about the art. And I love the fact because so many artists that we've seen before and maybe feel very strongly for continue to make the same video or don't challenge themselves in all ways or reach people in the way that Kendrick has. And this album, I think, was it, 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 it cemented a legacy. So we thought he would continue to build on top of that. But as we know, the life cycle of a top rapper can often be if it's not, you know, it can easily be two years. And Kendrick immediately disproved that and said, I'm here for the long haul. You can put me in that class with the Jay-Z's, you know, with the LL's, with the, the OG's like that. And it's, it's, you know, I think of 2015 with To Pimp a Butterfly and it, I continue to put it on and be just marveled by the album. It's not one for me that I can come in and listen to one song. Um, it's one that you have to play end to end. So now at this point, he's got three classic albums. Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, and To Pimp a Butterfly. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I recall this is when the GOAT conversation started around Kendrick. Um, did, you, did you share that? Did you, were you starting to think of him as a, a GOAT contender at this point? Not as much as you. I, it, it wasn't unreasonable to me. I think that, you know, we're three deep. I want that fourth album, um, you know, and beyond. But yeah, I mean, certainly of the artists that I've watched ascend in my time, because at this point, you know, Kanye is part of that class, but I've watched Kanye deviate a bit with Yeezus and whatnot. And this one's something special. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't unreasonable at all. But for you, I know you were, you know, a lot of people can, can say what they were talking about six years ago. You were making this point on the reg. I was making a point for sure. Uh, I, I was, I wrote the good kid. I wrote the good kid. Mass City was a classic five days later, you know, and revisited five years and like, you know, and I think people agree with me at this point, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I was making the argument and I was doing it based on um, albums, classic albums to me, Jay-Z is, I think, 
held as the GOAT by more people than any other MC, mm-hmm. um, regardless of your opinion on him or not. I think that if you were to take a poll, that Jay-Z would get the most votes except for AFH, <laughs> <Yeah. famous>. <laughs> <laughs> who gave it to Eminem. Um, um, as, um, as the GOAT. And, um, you know, Jay has four classic albums, in my opinion. You know, at least four. He's got Reasonable Doubt, Blueprint, uh, Black Album. I would put 444 up there. Some people might put Volume 2 in there. Um, you know, might say American Gangster, but all day long, four. Yeah, yeah he's, got, he's got four, right? And so to be the GOAT, you got to get more than that. And, you know, Kendrick having three is greater than most people because you think of like people who have three classic albums, you get in the group territory, you know, like um, you think Tribe, you think an Outcast, people like that. It's hard to think of single MCs. You know, some people might say Kanye's there, but, you know, because Kanye doesn't write most of his raps, I don't think most people would put him in that GOAT category um, as an MC, maybe as a an all-around artist. Or a rapper. So, you know. yeah, so... I don't know that there's too many people who have three. So I, th- I didn't think it was unreasonable to start to make that, that argument at the time, you know? Um, but so Kendrick's profile is rising. He interviews NWA later on that year uh, for billboard um, for straight out of Compton. That's, that's a milestone moment. And then in September of 2015, J-Rock releases 90059, which is really, really interesting. I love that album. Uh, I love that album. Um, Went to the release party again, didn't hear it very well there. But when I sat and listened to it, just absolutely loved it. Uh, it's very soulful. I think it's rocket is best. Um, you know, um, songs like Gumbo and um, Money Trees Part Deuce. Um, you know, but it was met with mixed reception. Like in, in a lot of ways, it wasn't um received in, in the best way, but it's probably still my favorite J-Rock album to this day. But did you have thoughts about it when you first heard it? It wasn't my favorite. Um, I came around on it. I liked it, but I thought it really was an album that kind of positioned, or so we thought for the time, J-Rock is kind of the underdog of Black Hippie. Um, you know, the OG, but you were watching Q and Kendrick and to a somewhat lesser extent, Absol, you know, kind of extent, and 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 J Rock just has yet to have that moment. But as we'll talk about in a moment, he gets it later. Yeah, yeah. So um, February, Kendrick performs at the Grammys. Actually, that's the um, that's the handcuffs one. That's the prison uniform handcuffs. Oh, okay, one. right, right. Um, and that sparked some controversy as did the BT Awards performance that summer, where he was uh, performing all right on vandalized police cars with a big American flag in the background. So he's making his mark in pop culture with these performances that are real statements uh, of defiance and and activism. Um, And then, you know, a a month later, he releases Untitled Unmastered. I I think um, out of some pressure, LeBron even was like in on it, like, yo, top, we need an album. And so like a couple of days later, they they put that together. Well, and obviously it wasn't in response to LeBron, but it was Lucy's from To Pimp a Butterfly. And, I think a great album. I don't count it as part of his catalog because, uh, you know, I, I see it as more like Lost Tapes B-sides, but still was was entertaining. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm glad that we we have it. And recently in the last year, I've gone back and listened to it once or twice. But uh, I don't consider that. I think Lost Tapes B-sides, something like that is a great comparison. Yeah. 
So you want to talk about what happened in July? Absolutely. July, we got a huge album from Q with the Blank Face LP. Um, You know, we talk about trolling. (laughs) Q, I don't think Kendrick's ever trolled us. I think Q and TDE with him have done it a few times. Uh, That was a time where, you know, the artwork for a moment was either, you you and I talked about it recently, was going to feature the crying Michael Jordan emoji or the uh, Donald Trump um emoji you know uh a photo of trump and we reported on afh erroneously but um i think to me you know this is probably my second favorite q album i really uh and 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 you catch me on the right day i might say it's his best i think it's q coming into his own with the resources available and really making um a very polished album that still maintains like you said that upbringing from the streets, but doesn't have to talk about specifically that. It, it opens up to, you know, his goals, his aspirations, his celebration of success. Um, you know, just, uh, just, just a joint. What's the, what's the, what's the, um, what's the song on there? Uh, not whatever you like, but it got a title just like that. Yeah. yeah. That. It's one of my most. Was the joint with SZA? Um, with the, it's not SZA. It's another, um, it's not Stacy Barth. It's one of the other like singers. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, um, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but yeah. that, I mean, that album to me was one of my most played of 2016. Just, just great, great stuff. Yeah, and then that part remix is the the Black Hippie Joint that, that was my favorite of all time. Okay, uh, yeah, that's the one where Kendrick uh, spazzes and J Rock kills it too. It's like really, really dope. But the original featured Kanye and, um, you know, Kanye's got a really unorthodox verse. Like, he's like, okay, 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 okay. You know, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. like Chipotle, you know, he's <laughs> like, uh, and, and at first Q didn't like it. He thought like Kanye was trolling him. Like, you know, like really this is the verse. But then when he started performing it live and hearing the crowd feedback and like how hyped they would get at that part, he knew what he had and really, really grew on him. Which I always thought that was a real interesting story. And later that year, Isaiah uh, releases Son's Tirade in September, his first official album. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, is when he took his place on the varsity team, right? He wasn't just a new kid. Like, he was actually a special talent. Um, you know, I saw him perform at, at uh, South by Southwest once, too. Voice is just penetrating, and he's just had a kind of, like, pathos about him, too, that reminds me a lot of J-Rock, you know, but... Yeah. Just a really phenomenal talent. I know this album was special to you, right? This is your favorite Isaiah album? Yeah, I mean, the Sylvia demo was one where I can admit it didn't connect with me. And it's one of those projects that a lot of people that I hold in high regard love. But this one, you know, I I really kind of saw what TDE saw in Isaiah. And I thought he made his own lane, which is kind of what we talk about. You know, these artists get a developmental path. And and yeah, I think your analogy of the varsity team um, says really well. And, and Isaiah came into his own. I, I you know, had no surprise, but I think it's his best work. Yeah. So now we're getting into 2017. And um, this is where, again, we, we keep, I, I keep thinking that Kendrick, you know, because this is just natural for all artists, right? Eventually artists plateau and mm-hmm. a three album run in hip hop is phenomenal. You know, like mm-hmm. um, there's a, a uh, image I posted recently um, with three album runs from artists. And there's probably only like six or like only 10, like really great three album runs 
um, not more than 20 for sure. Um, and so for Kendrick to have three is phenomenal. But in April, he releases Damn. And I've always likened Damn to Kendrick's Purple Rain moment, you know, mm-hmm. um, in that he's always been a respected artist amongst hip hop heads and, and a critical darling and things like that, as Prince was th- from like um, For You through Dirty Mind or through um, 1999. But when Prince dropped Purple Rain, it became a pop zeitgeist moment. It was he dominated everything. He was a pop culture superstar at that point. Uh, The movie, of course, helped that, too. But the soundtrack was just incredible and had multiple number one singles like it just he was in the status of Michael Jackson. Like he was arguably the biggest star on the planet. Right. And damn is the first time that, um, you know, Kendrick outsold Drake and uh, became the most popular rap artist on the planet, even though he didn't in any way compromise his art. You know, it was still very, in fact, it was arguably his most complex album to date. Um, He dropped it on a good Friday um, going into Coachella, and it sparked tons of rumors that he was going to release a second album on Easter called Nation, and uh, together it was Damnation. And one was a... um, a story of 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 a um, of damnation. The other one was um, one of um, of us of um, I'm losing the word, but um, basically like re- redemption. So right. um, um, the internet was on fire with that rumor that he released the second album. So you want to you want to take over from there? Yeah, man. I mean, it came out. It was. Uh, were you at Coachella? I was not at Coachella that year. No. I remember us covering you. I think you you did the the initial album story. I think we just kind of said Kendrick albums out. Listen here, but to what you said a moment ago, I mean, this to me, it, it might not be anyone's favorite. I think it's, I think it's the most interesting Kendrick Lamar album because again, he makes a totally different lane. This one, at times, I mean, and it sound is much more pop leaning but there's no compromise on the rapping. And then when you take a step back and you figure out the concept of two albums do exist, you can go in either direction um, and you get two totally different narratives. You can look at the Kid Capri involvement, which I thought is another, like you talk about MC8 or GLC, like the left field, just like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to really kind of orchestrate this my way. It's, it's a mind blowing album. Like this to me, is calculus like listen to this album and you of all people you know um you had been up a number of i can't remember how far after it was album drops on a friday i believe you kind of had it was two weeks it. two weeks later two weeks I, later is how long yeah i think the album dropped on um april, april 14th 13th 13th okay. friday the 13th a word yeah and it was on april 30th that's right. So like so for two weeks, I was absolutely obsessed with this album. Like I had not been as, as obsessed with an album since Erica Badu's Baduism, like listening to it all day, every day on repeat. And um, I started reading different theories online and like piecing things together. I watched his interview with Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe asked him, so, you know, is this the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning? Mm-hmm. And like, um, you know, after a while, it clicked for me. So I went to one of my best friends, college roommate's wedding that weekend. And uh, on the Friday, 
of that that weekend, I had dropped a note in the document saying, yo, I think Kendrick's album, because someone, a lot of people, there's a theory that the album should be played backwards, right? Right. Um, and then, um, so I was like, okay, I don't think that quite captures it. I, I do think it's meant to be played forwards too. And I was like, wait, it's meant to be played forwards and backwards. And the album takes on two meanings depending on which direction you play it in. If you play it forwards, it's a story of, you know, a person like transcending his DNA and having free will and a story of redemption. Uh, if you play it backwards, ending in DNA, it's a story of like we're just hardwired and it's it, it's it's fate and you can't, it's wickedness. And I started thinking weakness, wickedness. Um, and I was like, wait a minute. Um, is it weakness? Is it wickedness? You decide, are we going to live or die? It's a choose your own story type of scenario. And I put that in the document and you and Amanda were like, you ignored it. You ignored it for, for two days. And I was like, okay, wow. Uh, so I took it out of the document. I was like, okay, that's nothing. And so that night of the wedding, I was talking to my guy, Ian Stamen, uh, former Tommy Boy A&R dude, um, A&R for some great De La Soul records, has his own um, blog called Different Kitchen, super music head. I used to argue with him all the time in college about music. I still argue with him every day in a, in a group chat. But I told him the theory. He was like, yo, I would write that article if I was you. I was like, word? And he's like, yeah. And so that night I was like, you know, drinking heavily, of course, because it's the wedding and everything. Yeah. The next day I wake up and my guy's got, you know, these IVs that you can do, like, you know, that rehydrate you. Like he yeah. got that for all the wedding people. I'd never done it. So I tried it. I get on the plane and I start writing and I write for five hours straight. I do not like get up to go to the bathroom. I don't take a sip of water or anything. Um, uh, I look like I'm possessed. I get home. I keep writing for another four or five hours. I'm pulling together all sorts of clues, like, you know, tweets and like Instagram posts and, you know, and, and quotes and, and, and stuff. And I'm putting together this theory that the album is meant to be played backwards and forwards. And um, I'll, I'll never forget at a, like 11.05 that night, I posted it. Then I went to sleep. I didn't even look to see the reaction. And it was like um, the, the, the headline was the rumors were right. Kendrick Lamar did release two albums. And um, I woke up the next morning and you had written, uh, damn, Reggie broke the internet or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like me. <laughs> uh, then I looked and we were at like 2000 real time and it was like 12 hours later and we had had like something like 500,000 uniques overnight. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was crazy. Um, Benchmark moment for AFH. Um, and yeah, I mean, MTV had covered had covered that there were several people that gave us credit, you know, and, and when and I, I say us because of the pride that we take as AFH, but you know, really I give you a world of credit, especially in the face of you know apathy. And I, I'll admit that. And and we had a lot going on at that point. You know, it wasn't any passive aggressiveness or anything like that, but there were a lot of boxes to check, but I always regret that. And I think it's a testament to your tenacity and perseverance to um, make that pop, you know? Yeah, it was crazy just how it played out. You know, Kendrick confirming it with MTV and then linking back to us, you know, in August. And then 
uh, Ronnie Carmichael from NPR, like um, in his year long wrap up, like citing us, like definitely one of my proudest moments for the site, you know, but um, at a moment we needed it too. And for it to be in conjunction with, you know, one of my favorite artists of all time was incredible, but you know, then the dissect podcast was like unbelievable. It came out on Spotify, but this album was one of the greatest concept albums of all time. And not by rap, anything like it just uh, it's so complex. And, you know, it, it lets you know just the amount of thought that Kendrick put into this and why it takes years for him to put things together. Um, you know, he just is an artist of a completely different level than most, you know, most are focused on punchlines and like, you know, you'll get some occasional storytelling, but this guy is, is writing like, you know, Bible allegories and like, just, it's just incredible. It's like a novel. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you, yeah. you see, you see why he's a Pulitzer prize winning MC. Yeah. And he's won best rap album. Right. But not album of the year, but then goes on to win the Pulitzer and becomes the first artist in history who's non-classical or non-jazz to win a Pulitzer. Like, I'm mean, just incredible, you know? Yeah. And I feel that Kendrick not winning album of the year was a major turning point for the Grammys too, as every year more and more, you know, hip hop heads in particular and just modern culture, you know, debates their validity I feel like not recognizing Kendrick at the level in which he deserves for two years in a row um, has been, you know, very, I think it's had consequences. Yeah. I don't think TDE has attended the Grammy since then. Even beyond that though, I think that, you know, you know, they're huge, but yeah, to that point, I don't, uh, whenever Kendrick drops his next album, I I would suspect it'll be a contender just given his pedigree. And I'll be shocked if uh, he's up there to receive the honors. Yeah. So SZA releases Control, um, you know, ironically, um, you know, titled, um, and she steps into her womanhood fully that year. This is June of 2017. This album takes her to a different level. She becomes like an icon for lots of like girls around the country um, and just people generally. Um, The album's nominated for five Grammys, and it really does cement TDE's status as a full service label, not just hip hop. Um, and then later in September, Kendrick and Top are featured on Billboard. And I know that was written by someone you name checked earlier. You want to talk about that? Andreas. Uh, Andreas. Andreas. Oh, Hale. that's right. Yeah. Andreas yeah. Hale wrote that. Yeah. yeah, word. And that's such an incredible story. I remember where I was when you and I we had a phone oh, conversation. Let me let me let me pull that back. It was day tw- was it day twenty? Day twenty. Day twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's day twenty. Because yeah. I mean, day Trace twenty covered yeah. TDA in recent years. It was yeah, day, it was day twenty. But I remember where I was when you when that happened and we had a huddle as we often did. And that article was huge in many ways. It was very, um, you know, it offered rare access to both Kendrick and TD and, and Top, but it also revealed something that Kendrick had never shared previously is that, you know, he had an equity stake in the label. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that article, our aggregation of that billboard piece this week has become one of our most read pieces. Because is that right? Kendrick makes makes this pivot, I think people are still realizing that he has a stake in TDE, presuming that that hasn't changed, and I don't see why it would. Um, but it was just such a cool way of 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 two guys doing business. Um, and as we've seen, so many great artists get jerked or have you know acrimony with their labels. To see that kind of investment on both sides was huge. 
Yeah, and that partnership manifested again in 2018. Kendrick and Top make history again. Uh, they executive produced the Black Panther soundtrack. That that movie was, you know, we wrote an article about it being more than a movie. It's a movement. It, it goes on to become, like, I think the, the, the highest grossing film of all time at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, over a billion dollars. Um, you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. But Kendrick and Top executive produced the soundtrack and it became a TDE showcase. Reason was on that. Um, you know, Absol, um, J-Rock has his biggest song ever, King's Ransom, goes on uh, to, did it win a Grammy? Um, it was no, nominated. It was um, nominated. He got his. his actually, it, it won for, it did win for best rap performance. Um, King's Dead won, won for that. It didn't win um, best, uh, best rap record, but it won best rap performance. Um, and the album won best soundtrack for Grammy and uh, it won the best original score for the Oscars. But it's the first ever like kind of original soundtrack um, uh, using multiple recordings created specifically for a Marvel film, which mm. is incredible. Yeah. And I think it took soundtracks to the highest level. I mean, to me, that was a contender of of the best hip hop albums that year. And I mean, we there's great soundtracks from Colors to Above the Rim, you know, so on and so forth. Menace to society, but to see this penetrate culture the way that it did um, was crazy. And it, it was a TDE moment, but you're absolutely right. You know, it was the label, but it also showed Kendrick Lamar's um, curation. And like Reason was a part of that, but even SOB RBE, like there were Armazi, there were artists that had no affiliation whatsoever to TDE, but that these guys messed with and listened to and liked. And they brought them into the spotlight with them for a number one album with all of these accolades. I thought that was huge at such a big moment for culture. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you, you talk about Kendrick's like uh, power of curation, uh, because in a lot of ways he's becoming a label exec and in, in doing this. And he does it again in June with the release of J-Rock's Redemption um uh, aptly titled album um it is j-rock's victory lap his win you know it's his his moment in the sun he ends up performing opening up the the bt awards with that song and kendrick executive produced the album you know and he tapped into a new sound a more updated sound a different um less complex flow and over more uh current sounding beats almost trap beats with king's redemption and uh, a lot or King's King's dead and a lot of redemption has that sound. And, and I, I would attribute that to Kendrick. Uh, so I think that bodes well for whatever he does in the future with his label too. Um, that's my favorite J rock album, by the way, I've said that with each of these artists, but that one, I thought he reached, you know, such great potential. on. Yeah. And so you want to talk about August? I know it's an artist who's near and dear to both of us. Yeah, I mean, we're watching at this point, I mean, TD kind of expanded to possibly the third generation. You have artists like Sir, who we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but, you know, they came with another spitter um, from Carson, California, Reason. And, you know, again, he was on the Black Panther soundtrack with very little fanfare. And I mean, as is the TD way, that soundtrack just speaks for itself. Videos come as they will, performances. But, you know, Reason has... You know, TDE is an artist of, is a label of very unique sounding artists. All of them have distinct vocal deliveries and voices and all of that. And reason to me, in, in I'm, I know to you, is, a, is like a 2010 TDE artist. Just that conviction, that belief in self, that story, that, that 
projection of overcoming odds to be there and the rap kind of with no breaks. Um, and, you know, the soul reason raps about his place on the label and even the insecurities of like, you know, he, he might never be Kendrick, but no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I've been on top's ass for years to like, let me shine. Let me have this moment. Or at that point it was months, not years. Um, but he raps with no fear of repercussion, which we've talked about. We've seen that from Absol. We've seen that from Schoolboy Q. We've seen that from Kendrick. And in a lot of ways, I mean, for much of 20, uh, you know, 2018, and Reason didn't really kind of get his moment beyond the soundtrack until August. But those last three, four months, we spent a ton of time, you know, celebrating him on the site and you and I talking about him in our discussion. And I know you made it a purpose to get that interview with him ASAP, which we did. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I still love that interview, even with the like terrible background noise and everything. I think it really <laughs> laid out his story in a great way, you know. And so April of 2019, Schoolboy Q re- releases Crash Talk. Um, you know, it's an interesting rollout. It's a lot of talk about like how Q is in a better place and um, mm-hmm. how golf has kind of like brought peace to him. Mm-hmm. But the album doesn't really land like it, it kind of came and went, which is really interesting. And um, it's not until October that the biggest news of the year for TDE, um, um, unfortunately, that year is is not related to an album release. But um, in October, Dave Free announces uh, it, it's announced he didn't even comment on it, um, that Dave Free um, uh, co-president is, is leaving TDE. And again, that's Kendrick's manager. One of the little homies, Dave, I think, deserves a lot of credit in architecting the Internet strategy that TDE used in the early days to really kind of take over the blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, um, really just an incredibly talented individual on uh, business and creative levels. So it's, 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 it's a huge loss uh, to, for him to leave. And given the tightness that he and Kendrick have, like um, there's a lot of speculation that Kendrick is going to go with him. Um, you know, and, you know, um, Dave to this day, I don't think has ever said anything about it. I've never seen anything on record. And in fact, if you Google his name, you don't see anything beyond that. Um, but, um, he, uh, um, uh, he, he does announce, uh, a little bit later, um, in, in March of 2020 that he is, um, he's, um, starting a company called PG Lang with Kendrick the two of them launch a, a, a company and it's just a creative company um, at service to creators and projects that selflessly speak with and for the shared experiences that connect us all is what, what, what they say. So it's not a label. It's not like necessarily a film studio. It's just like kind of a creative, like incubator. It sounds like almost like creative control was back in the day. Yeah. That's a great comparison right there. Cause I think we've yet to see what this means, but, but that way I thought it gives them license to be involved in video and touring and, you know, production and film, whatever. And clearly they're two very good minds behind all of that. But um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a shocker. And one thing that's interesting is, you know, two of TD's top execs, Dave Free and Punch. Punch has throughout this time released songs, Lucy's, you know, and never given up his aspirations to rap. And some of those, a lot of those songs we covered on AFH and were very good. And, you know, um, Dave, you know, on the musical and technical side has continued to produce and DJ at various points, despite becoming one of the most influential executives in the music business. Yeah. 
And so, but when they uh, announced PG Lang, the rumors get the spike again that Kendrick is leaving. And I think you and I talked about it. You know, um, I, I thought it was very possible. At some point, I can't remember if it was before or after PG Lang, uh, Kendrick and Top appeared in an in a photo together on IG just to like shut people up. Um, yeah. You know, um, and then March was a really quiet year aside from that. Reason released New Beginnings. It was the only release that TDE has had since um, October, since April of 2019. Um, you know, now COVID, like you know affected many people's release schedules but still it was very eerily eerily quiet yeah and i mean even reason has has kind of downplayed the album I mean, you and i we put it on our, our best of 2020 list and i it 100 deserved to be there but i think that reason has another one in the chamber um especially the way that he works and you know to, to the point we made a moment ago reason works like kendrick and ab and q did early in their careers where you might get boom, one after another, after another. And I feel like Reason is still coming into his just do as a standout MC. But yeah, I mean, a very, very, very quiet year uh, throughout the rest of 2020 into April of this year with, uh, you mentioned earlier ago, but, um, you know, top tweeting the wait is over. Some speculating that that meant Kendrick. (laughs) Uh, More accurately, we got Isaiah Rashad. And um, yeah, and into a a long, hot summer, you know, of, of the news that kind of takes us here. And Isaiah's album is called the house is burning, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting too, given the news that we got um, just on Friday then. So Friday is when Kendrick releases his statement saying that, you know, he is working on his album and it will be his final album for TDE and the rest, as they say uh, is history. And so, you know, uh, you you read Top Dog's statement, and you know it, it was definitely an ep- the epitome of brotherhood and, and class, in my opinion. Um, you know, really fantastic to see. Um, you know, so given all this now, now that the era is ending, what where do you put TDE? Do you, so Billboard the art the article um, called them the greatest independent label in history. Um, I don't even know if I call them fully independent because they did have affiliations with Interscope right? Um, and Warner. Right. But, you know, I think they ran themselves like an independent label um, at all times. And Top was always the one in control. Um, but I want to take the indie like qualifier off. Where do you put them? Let's start with the 2010s. Would you I say that they're the greatest hip hop label of the 2010s? Hands down. They're the top dogs of that. I mean, of the 2010s, I feel like MMG had a really strong start, but MMG is an evolving thing. Um, and, you know, Dreamville, I think right now, and you and I have talked about this, Dreamville may be at a more exciting point right here in 2020 and 2021. But within those 10 years, I do not think there is a more exciting label in hip hop. The closest contender, and this is how, this is a testament to what Top Dog has accomplished, is Def Jam. Because in those years, you've got, um, you know, some incredible releases from Kanye West. You've got some incredible albums from The Roots. You've got Big Boy. You've got YG. But the difference is, and and you and I spoke about this um, recently, you know, before DMX died, but in, in, in discussing his album and his return to Def Jam, Def Jam, to some extent, has lacked a brand identity. I mean, it has a tremendous legacy that should always be respected. But I don't know that we 
know what a Def Jam stamp of quality is right now because of where the industry is at. Whereas Top Dog means something. Top Dog moves like Def Jam in the 80s or Def Jam in the 90s or the early 2000s. And the fact that they have developed artists um, in that 10-year window, I don't think anything can compete with that. What about you? No, I 100% agree. You know, the only other label, and like the Def Jam, it's hard for me to put them in the same category because it's very different. You know, now it's it's more... Um, of a label group like you know i think even justin bieber is on def jam like it's very different than than what it used to be um you know so yeah the only thing i can think of is mmg and ross had a great run with meek and and, and wale and himself of course and stally but like i i don't think anything compares to tde over over that 10-year period you know um now what about all time would you say top five Definitely top 10, top five. I don't refute, but I would need to think about um, because I think that there were some labels in the 80s and 90s that, again, de- development counts so much. You know, if you're just a label and you get the top artists, um, you know, I think that Tupac and Death Row have a great history together and, and shout out to Death Row for, for creating a home for him post-prison. But Tupac was going to make a great album wherever he went. I believe. I mean, it's great that he was with Dre and Daz and them, but TDE developed artists like they, you know, Isaiah Rashad, when there were grumblings of his signing, went from this guy um, with it was either Audio Mac or SoundCloud had very few listens into, you know, a a groomed poised artist overnight. Um, not overnight, but in a matter of days, because they saw something. Reason was like that. I mean, Reason's mixtape was out there floating for months. And then all of a sudden the opportunity presented itself. So I really, you know, top dog all day long is, is, is top 10, top five. I think so. I really think all time that could be made. Um, I think, and, and this is, this might sound like a cop out. I think what this last Kendrick Lamar top dog album sounds like, that's, uh, that's the ball in the hands of the all-star you know, right at the buzzer. You know what he's going to do right now is is huge. Yeah, it's hard, man. Um, you know, top ten, I think for sure. Top five, I think, just like top five MCs, like it. You know, there are you. There are probably twenty five MCs you could put in the top five. You know, um, and yeah. no one will look at you sideways for it. So, but you know, you think about Def Jam, Death Row, Bad Boy, Tommy Boy. Jive Records. Jive. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> there are a lot of great labels over the Rockus. You know, would you put them ahead of Rockus at this point? I mean, Rockus's run was, in my estimation, 97, 98 to 2003, you know, and then, um, I mean, they were around 2006. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of classics, TDE has more. Um, and you know, Rockus has four or five artists with classics. TDE is right there too. I, I, I think so. And, and, and I, we, I might get killed for that in the comments, <laughs> but, um, I do, I do think I put them ahead of, of Rockus at this point. So now what do you think happens for, um, Kendrick and for TDE? I think Kendrick, I think Kendrick, um 
Uh, it's not even clear to me that he repartners with Dave in full. You know, he might literally just be on his own muse. And he and Dave are, I, I think, going to be uh, partnered, you know, in some way, just generally because of the relationship there. But I could see him either doing that in full or doing his own thing and just, um, you know, but either way, because of the kind of artist he is, I think he continues to be great. And, you know, I don't know if he ever has the same level of success that he had with Dam, because that's hard to achieve. Prince never did with Purple Rain, you know, and that's not that's not a knock because yeah. Prince had Sign of the Times and um, the Symbol album and like, you know, five, ten other phenomenal albums after that that stood with every one of his albums. So but, you know, the public is a fickle thing when it comes to popularity. Um but, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. Like, I wouldn't bet against him having, like, you know, continuing to, to, to rise. Like, he's like Tom Brady at this point. Like, to bet against him would be foolish. And I kind of liking it to Brady and, and the Patriots, you know. Um, I think Brady has continued to be great and is still a Super Bowl MVP winning rings. I think that's going to be Kendrick. And the Patriots this year are shaping up to be pretty damn good, too, you know. Um, and uh, TDE. I still got a roster of phenomenal artists. Uh, every artist we talked about is still there and tremendous. And they're adding to it. You know, Isaiah's album, I think, is great. Uh, we didn't talk about that, but the album he released this year, I really, really like. Um, like you said, you, Reason's probably got something in the chamber. And they've shown themselves to pull in new talent again and again. So, yeah, I think both uh, are going to be just fine. Um, but, you know, again, end of an era. And I wanted to celebrate it. I'm sure a lot of people think it was long-winded, but, you know, I love I love this label. Um, I have a lot of love for each of the people who have made it, both personally and professionally. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's important to celebrate these kind of milestones. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I look at what the 2010s were, what we were when, when they started, what they are, you know, 11 years later and TD is a part of that. And they legitimized a space the same way in the nineties, the source magazine, you know, found, you know, covered Biggie before bad boy and led to a signing or common or, you know, big pun. Um, TDE proved that these artists on websites that had followings, but weren't covering what was on radio or weren't covering what was on MTV. Shout out to BET and you for, for narrowing that gap mattered and they could be stars. Anyone could be great if you worked at it. And Kendrick Lamar happened to be that anyone. And I do, I, I see from here on out um, probably an Andre 3000 sort of trajectory. I think Kendrick Lamar loves hip hop way too much to ever stop making it, but I think he wants to make it on his terms and perhaps, you know, as presumed a still owner of the company and, and, you know, tops, protege i mean he's often positioned top as as a like a, a, a the number two male influence on his life besides his father i think that in some ways a move like this allows the reasons of the world um to get their due shine and and you know presumably absol schoolboy qj rock too but this is this is um the end of an era and one that i hold near and dear to my career and just what this music did to keep my faith in hip hop and keep me involved and have me looking at possibly doing other things with my life and time. But 
with artists like KDOT out here, I'm like, yo, I want to, I want to work in hip hop, but I want to work with the guy who put him on television, you know, for the first time and all of that. Word, word. Well, yo, it's been a long one, but um, uh, for those who still around, Jake and I are taking a couple weeks off. So hopefully this will, um, you know, hold us down for a couple weeks. We got a really amazing interview coming up in September. I think everyone's going to be, uh, quite happy with that one um but uh anything else you want to you want to hit no man i think there's a lot of things developing right now i think there will be some albums when we return to talk about and unpack but i don't want to speculate um i think i think this is good man i think it's really important to take a whole episode we've done this a few times recently with other topical things and really kind of speak the backstory uh you did a phenomenal job laying out the timeline and yeah, man, I think we let this one simmer. Word. All right, man. So what's your song of the week? Yo, man, I'm going to keep it on Kendrick. Um, I'm going to go. We talked about it in the pod, but I'm going to go with Poe Man's Dreams. That's that is uh, even even saying his title, man, just just kind of has a visceral visceral feeling. What about you? Wow, that's a, that's a crazy one, man. That's a crazy one. I'm going to go with Blessed. You know, that was um, a song that I played over and over and over again back in the day, um, just Q and the chords and, and the Kendrick verse too, like really dope. But that to me is like a uh, heart of TDE, man, that, that, to, that early 2010s era, like just incredible. So yeah, man, shout out to TDE, shout out to Kendrick and uh, yo, until we yeah, meet man. again. Thank you for all the support, TDE, Kendrick, J-Rock of, of AFH, man. I'm I'm so proud to be part of this because of, you know, the work you did, Reggie, with those guys, man. It's great hearing some of those stories. And you too, man. We've both been in the trenches since early on, not day one, but early enough. So Yeah, man, we ain't going nowhere. So I'll yep. see you in the trenches in a couple of weeks, all right? All right, man. All right, all right man. Peace. Peace.